Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wise. Hello and welcome to the podcast that's really going to make you wish they had just made a Godzilla vs. X-Men movie like we've been asking for all these years. Uh, <laughs> it's Mike and Mike go to the movies. I'm Mike Smith. Joining me, as always, is a man who can only be described as an underwhelming entry in his franchise. <laughs> wow, Mike Decrecio. <laughs> how you doing? I feel attacked, first off. Uh, that's how I'm doing, Mike. Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm one of the uh, the more well-reviewed entries in my franchise. Certainly oh, okay, not that's the, nice. the best of the franchise, but, you know, a, a three out of five, for sure. Joining us for this episode is a friend who uh, appeared on a few episodes of our previous podcast, making his debut appearance on Michael Michael Go to the Movies, uh, Nick Wormuth. Welcome to the show. Hey, I did it again. You did it. <laughs> you made it. You made it. Yep. We weren't sure you Without- were going to, but then you yep. made it. <laughs> Without any audio syncing problems, I'm here in one try. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nail it in one. Yeah. That's our motto. Exactly. So, yeah, for, for context, for those who aren't privy to that, for the first, like, two minutes of this recording, we were trying to sync up our audio, and Nick was, uh, was just not doing a great job. <laughs> on, the, on the opposite of Sonic, always coming in slow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but the important thing is, it's working now, you're back, and uh, we should be good. Now, all the theme songs you'll hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen. Our logo was designed by uh, Jacob Honeycutt, or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. If you ever want to contact us or respond to something we did on the show, you can email us over at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. Today, we're going to start with some discussions uh, where we each discuss whatever piece of media we've been consuming lately, and then we'll move straight into our featured review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, but things don't end there, guys. After that, we're going to do a sort of brief retrospective of the entire X-Men series of films before we get into another featured review of the final entry in the series, Dark Phoenix. And I say final entry in the series because it wasn't, like, designed that way, but, like, it's being right. advertised that way now because there's no way there's going to be more. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the trailers, but, like, even, like, the TV spots say, like, it's the final X-Men adventure. Like, just completely giving up on the idea that, like, maybe we can make more X-Men movies. <laughs> Nope. But yeah, were you guys uh, excited for either of these movies? I was excited for Godzilla, for sure. Yeah, I was definitely excited for Godzilla. Dark Phoenix was more of a, uh, it felt like an obligation, you know, <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. Like, you know, I've seen all the X-Men movies, I might as well see Dark Phoenix kind of thing. Nick, how about you? Were you uh, excited for either one? Uh, I'm a huge Godzilla fan, and much like many of the actors who were in Dark Phoenix, I didn't care at all. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. where I'm at. Fair enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you're only, are you uh, an X-Men fan Period. Like, are, are you, have you watched all these X Men movies up to this point? Yeah, like, I, I pitched this originally to you as like, oh, we're going to do a Godzilla movie review, and then when me and Mike decided <laughs> we'll do a double episode, I said to you like, listen, you can just do Godzilla if you want, or you can join us for the full episode and do Dark Phoenix too. Um, so, are, are you an X Men fan at all? And then was that something that appealed to you, or did you just want to be part of the whole episode? And that's why you're here. I, I do. There are many of the X-Men movies I am a big fan of. Uh, I feel like I wasted about $13 and two hours of my life last night, but uh, <laughs> I'm not, not going to go in too negatively to this review. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few gems out there, but God, are the bad ones really bad. Yeah, okay. So. Uh, well, good news is you're a big Godzilla fan, so we'll have your, uh, we'll ha- we'll have your uh, perspective when we get into our review of Godzilla King of the Monsters. Right now, let's start with some discussions. Watch this. 
All right, it's time for some uh, discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, where we talk about just whatever we've been watching, playing, reading, whatever you want. So, Nick, you're the guest here, uh, so you go first. What do you have to discuss with us today? Like most normal people, I did my annual three-month watch of Tremors uh, last week. <laughs> uh, it's it's the Rednecks Jaws, uh, with yeah. all the music done by Reba McIntyre, and uh, honestly, it's just it's just perfect. Yeah. It's always perfect. It's uh, it, it, there's just something with the puppets, the hokey acting, and the fact that they could somehow manage a B-movie plot in just such bizarre circumstances. It's It's art. Yeah, and that's that's all that that's all you can really say about Tremors to start. Um, <laughs> I assume you guys are fans too. Otherwise, uh, you'd be pitching something else in here. But oh yeah, no, I, I love Tremors. Uh, actually, I, I it wasn't that long ago that I watched it for the first time. Uh, it was maybe a couple, what? couple of years ago, maybe. But uh, yeah, but I, I I'm a big fan of that movie, and I've never seen any of the sequels. I've heard they're they're a mixed bag, but there is some good stuff in there. I know there was supposed to be a um, like a sci-fi TV series that Kevin Bacon would have starred in again. Yes, uh, and there there is a pilot episode of that out there. Right, but uh, I guess they just didn't make it. Uh, yeah, it's a mess. It, oh, you've seen it? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen all the Tremors movies. Really? Okay. I, I, I find it bizarre that you haven't, um, and it's it's actually kind of hurting me that you just recently watched Tremors. You didn't just wander into the library and watch it every day like I did. <laughs> I, I say recently. Like, it was a few years ago. Uh, okay. it, it wasn't like, you know, it happened like yesterday, like, oh, Tremors, that's a cool thing. Uh well, I, still, I, that's that's too late, Mike. I yeah. agree. I agree. I should have been watching Tremors, you know, from birth onward. But <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't like the franchise that has one theatrical movie, three TV movies, and two Netflix movies. <laughs> Do you even call yourself a film fan? Uh, yeah, I own Tremors with- four on DVD. I could pull it out right now, but I'm not going to. <laughs> wow. This isn't for bragging rights. This is just we should know where our places are. Right. So the the important <laughs> thing is we all we're, we're all big Tremors fans here, right? Yes. Okay. I used to rent. I grew up around the block from a blockbuster, uh, and I used to rent Tremors there all the time. Yeah, that was one of your frequent was, blockbuster picks. Was, <laughs> yes, and it was amazing. It was so much fun. When he gets the 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 ass blaster, which I can't believe that's a name they stuck with for, <laughs> for so long. Uh, shot out of the the ravine, like that's great. Like I remember that scene very much. Perfect. Yeah, and they they do such a good job of like telegraphing it. Where in the beginning, everyone's just obnoxiously loud constantly, and they show like yeah. radiators making noises, and it's just it's all just referencing what's to come. And it's it's really smart filmmaking for a relatively dumb movie. Yes, um, <laughs> and that's the sort of stuff I respect the most. And I have no idea what the budget was, but I, I assume it was some Hollywood shelved movie where they decided, oh, let's just throw it all together in the end. And for some reason, it worked. Yeah. So no complaints with Tremors. Uh, cool. Go out there. Watch Tremors 2. It's got only one or two returning actors in it. And uh, <laughs> skip all the other ones because they're pretty horrible. Doesn't What's-his-name come back, though, like in, the, in like Tremors 6 or something? Michael Gross <laughs> is in every single one of them. And that was it. I don't know what happened in his life where he was – he was he, I, was he in All in the Family or something? He was, he was a supporting character know. in some early sitcom. Yeah. And then he was in the Tremors movies, went straight to TV – and then he was in uh, Pizza Man with Frankie Muniz and Diamond Dallas Page, which is also <laughs> wow. another work of art. Uh, sure. You can only rent it on Amazon. I've yet to find it anywhere else, but you bet I've paid for it two or three times. <laughs> um, but that's a discussion for another day. Right. <laughs> I don't want to get you too excited. Fair enough. Well, Pizza Man's not totally fresh in your memory, so because like, you haven't watched it recently, right? So 
I don't yeah. want to. <laughs> I don't want to make you try try to uh, inaccurately describe scenes from Pizza Man. Like next exactly next time you're on, you know, watch it beforehand, and we'll yeah. we'll have a frank discussion about Pizza Man. Yeah, it's one of those event films. I have to be in the right mind. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So yeah, Tremors. Uh, <laughs> PSA. It's great. Uh, any other movies? The more you know. Any, any other movies you want to talk about, uh, Nick, in your discussions? Um, well, uh, I've I've been a lifelong Spider-Man fan, specifically the Raimi movies. Yeah. Uh, in 2002, I thought I was going to see Attack of the Clones when my family brought me to the Roosevelt Theater, and I was super pumped. And then we walked in, and they were like, "We're seeing Spider-Man instead," uh, which <laughs> was originally a huge disappointment. And then uh, looking back, I think I got the better end of the deal. Though. Oh, hundred so, uh, percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why this is important whatsoever is uh, because even though I own this movie on multiple different platforms, I sat and watched the entire thing on TBS the other day. <laughs> Commercials and all for no real reason, um, and boy does it work still. Oh, it's, man. it's it's so great. Yeah, they get somehow that that Dick Donner energy in like in the the early two thousands, and it shouldn't work. Like right. when it's right after X Men, where everything's just so dark and leathery. I guess we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, it's just it, there's no reason for that hokey dumbass movie to still work, but it does every single time, and it's it's just it's a work of art. And I, I think it, the MCU owes so much to it, whether they admit it or not, and that's that's the reason that anyone still cares about these things, um, even though it couldn't really convince me to see Dark Phoenix without you guys asking me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that that original Spider-Man movie, it's it's so good, and it's been a few years since I've watched that too, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, so I gotta, uh, I, I'll wait till TBS is airing it again, and I'll. I'll watch it myself. <laughs> I, I've got it on DVD too. I should just watch it uh, when I get a chance. But that whole the Sam Raimi trilogy is so great. It's it's just so much fun. And you know, Spider-Man Two, as I've said many times, one of the greatest movies ever made. Undisputably, <laughs> uh, yeah, undisputably one of the greatest movies ever made in the history of cinema. Uh, and I feel like the Raimi trilogy never gets like it doesn't get the respect it kind of deserves from the fans these days. I feel like you know, I feel like a lot of people are like, yeah, Tom Holland's my Peter Parker. The Raimi movies are hokey and dumb. Uh, but no, man. <laughs> like Tom Holland's a pretty good Peter Parker. Like he's, he's a very good Peter Parker. I like him a lot in the MCU movies. But like, I don't know those those Raimi Spider-Man movies, Tobey Maguire. Like, there's a special. Like they just kind of stand on their own as like this own, their own special thing. Tom Holland. It's just the whole movie rides on the fact that oh, this actor's pretty good, but visually it's super uninteresting. There's just I, everything. Yeah. Everything in the Rami movies, just the fact that his suit is almost like three dimensional with like the webs coming off of it. Yes. The fact that Green Goblin looks actually like a Cabbage Patch kid, like it just looks horrible. <laughs> but at the same time, it works perfectly and everything makes sense. Yes. And yeah, I, it's, it's, and there's something special about seeing something on TV because I knew that while I was sitting there watching it on TBS, there was at least, I'll go, you know, like low numbers here, two billion other people watching it also on TBS. <laughs> We, at we least, just, minimum. We just assume, because it's Spider-Man, that like a lot of people are watching it, right? Yeah. Don't you turn that dial. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that is the original Spider-Man. And if you haven't watched it in a while, it's great. You should watch yep. it again. And I'm, <laughs> I'm here to keep the users, uh, or sorry, the listeners topical. So uh, my movie from 1990 <laughs> and my movie from 2002. So don't All miss right. them. Yeah, fair enough. All right, those are Nick's discussions. Mike, what do you got today? Uh, today, I have a few movies to discuss, and keeping in, in the trend we've had recently where I do really old movies and Mike does all the new movies. Right. Uh, <laughs> the first movie I have to talk about is Rock and Roll High School. One of my favorite movies of all time. I love it. So what do you think of my school, guys? Boy, when you have recess, you really go all out. Consider yourselves officially enrolled in Rock and Roll High School. The facilities are yours. Do whatever you want. Do you want to 
Yes. Uh, I, I, don't, I think, we, did we talk about it maybe last, after the episode last time? And I, I mentioned that I had never seen it. And right. And you were like, you need to watch this yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've told you many times in the past that you need to watch, <laughs> that you need to watch oh, this yeah, movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, we definitely talked about it recently. Uh, and so, yeah, and you texted me something about it, or... Like, I don't know exactly yeah. what you said. Like, something like you had a crush on PJ Souls or something, which I get it, because she's great. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> where where has PJ Souls in this role specifically been all my where life? Where has 1979 era PJ Souls been my entire life? <laughs> yes. I guess in 1979. Yeah. Uh, but she's amazing. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Uh, Does she still wear a hat in that movie, too? No, but she's got the pigtails. Okay, going. all right. Sorry, yeah. I got worried for a second. <laughs> and that badass, like red, like bedazzled right. like, Letterman jacket yes. thing going on. So great. Yeah, it's awesome. And oh, I think I texted you that uh, is co-directed by Joe Dante. Oh yes, that was what I texted you about. Uh, apparently, one of his first role, first uh, director. His uh, oh my God. Yeah, his second his second movie as a director, he co-directed with Alan Arkish. His first movie was uh, Hollywood Boulevard, but I actually just watched recently. Uh, really, and it's fine, but it's not as good as Rock and Roll High School. Rock and Roll High School is ace. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's you know Corman adjacent, I think, uh, or is it produced by Corman? Corman produced it, yeah. Uh, so you got your boy uh, Paul Bartel in there with the great quote that you texted me. Uh, I have my one regret is I have but one life to give for rock and roll. <laughs> yes, uh, and wow, that's amazing. It's, it's beautiful. And, and yeah, I mean it's all Ramon soundtrack. It's incredible. It's, it's just punk rock, high school. I can't believe this movie isn't included alongside like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Animal House and. You know that in that discussion of that era of teen movie, right? Like uh, the, this is the great better than all teen of them. movie canon. Yes, it is better. Than, well, I don't know if it's better. <laughs> like Fast Times Ridgemont High is also one of my favorite movies, but like that's fair. But yes, it sh- it should be up there on the Mount Rushmore of teen movies from the late seventies. Oh, hundred so, percent. So great. Yeah, and it's a blast. Like go watch it. Find it places. Yeah, you can. Rock and High School, baby. Uh, and then next up, I have a horror comedy movie called Ravenous from nineteen ninety nine, and uh, this stars uh, Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle. It's up on Shutter now it's available on shutter to watch yeah and this is uh it's set in like 1840 or something like that it's pre-civil war i think it's like is it mexican-american war or something like that and so i forget which where, where what you know what specifically is going on but robert um not robert carlisle guy pierce gets a like commendation in the beginning of the movie like he's the one person to survive this military battle and um his officer or whatever the person that's giving him the medal knows he survived by playing dead so he gets, like, this commendation for bravery by from playing dead. Uh, so the guy, he's, he knows what's up, and he tells him, you know, you're being assigned to go be one of the five guys in a fort over the winter in the California mountains alone, like, as punishment for this. And it's weird as hell. You know, it's, it's a bunch of um, really good character actors. One guy that's in, like, every late 90s action movie with, like, blonde bleach blonde hair you would you would know exactly who he is when you saw him okay. i can't remember his name uh david arquette is in it which is really weird uh, uh the principal from ferris bueller is oh, in jeffrey it jones. <laughs> jeffrey jones there you go not um, a good guy. yeah so not a good not a good guy not at all uh we don't really need to go okay <laughs> oh this isn't this isn't that kind of podcast no. i mean it can be okay sure no i don't think it needs to be but uh, uh, not yeah. not good let's leave it at that <laughs> um, but yeah so anyway it's Guy Pierce, and, and, and it kind of becomes this, like, survival man against the elements thing. You know, they're in the fort. There's only a few of them uh, over the winter. And Robert Carlyle shows up starved, like, hallucinating, like, frostbitten, and tells them this story about, uh, you know, he was on a wagon train, and they got lost in the mountains, and they had a resort to eating each other, right, is, like, the end of the thing. Right. Uh, the point. And he tells them, there's one, there's one or two people left in the cave where we were hiding. You have to go back with me. I have to show you. And uh, just to rescue these people. And it turns into this weird twist 
uh, and it becomes like about like Wendigos, like the like mythical Native American creature, okay. right? Like this guy, person that eats somebody who is consumed with his hunger to eat more human flesh, uh, <laughs> uh, right? So it makes this crazy thing, and, and the halfway point of this movie would be the end of any other movie, where it becomes this large, huge standoff with crazy supernatural powers and like all this weird shit going on. And then there's still another hour left, and it's <laughs> wild, man. <laughs> it becomes right. very weird. Uh, I don't know if it's good, per se, but it is certainly weird and, and interesting and, like, has this very um, late 90s, like, action direction, but in this, like, atmospheric slow horror movie, like, where there'll be subtitles complete with, like, bullet ricochet noises as they pop up yeah. <laughs> and stuff like guns cocking. It's like, is this a Guy Ritchie movie or this weird, uh, you know, horror movie? Um, so, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's like, you know, two hours. It's up on Shutter. Uh, I'd say check it out, I guess. Cool. So the movie... If you're interested in that. Yeah, the movie is called Ravenous, by the way. Just throwing that out there. That it's Just in case people forgot. It's Ravenous. Yes, it's that's called Ravenous. Uh, it's on Shudder. Cool. And you have one more uh, discussion to talk about, Mike? Yes. I have a new Netflix joint uh, I want to talk about, and that is called The Perfection. Here we go. Just keep going. I'm burning up. Oh, they're fucking inside of me. Fucking crawling inside of me. It's happening. It's gonna be okay. Oh, it's not. Oh, God, it's not. It's not gonna be okay, Charlotte. You need to leave me. I'm not gonna leave you, Lizzie. Charlotte, listen to me. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with me. Lizzie, I know. That's why we need to get you help. No, but I'm dying. Don't you understand? No, I don't understand. But I am. I'm dying. I'm dying. All right. You were, you were telling me about this last week, I think, uh, right, right yes. before you watched it. Yeah. I had heard about it, I think, on Shockwaves, I think, uh, another horror movie-focused uh, podcast. And um, they were talking about this reaction where people were, like, viewers were, like, throwing up. And, and there was, like, a push for Netflix to get to, – to put uh, warnings before movies. Because when you look at a Netflix original movie, they're not theatrically rated. It will just say, like, TVMA or whatever. Right, yeah, and that um, just go through the MPAA because they don't need to. Uh, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're, they don't go into theaters, so they don't only have to Yes, so there's no real way to see exactly what, like, is it contained. And, you know, if you go look at an R-rated movie, and the, it will say rated R for, you know, intense gore, strong language, whatever. It tells you what's going on in the movie. Uh, the Netflix originals don't really have that, and uh, this movie certainly certainly could use some uh, warning or some <laughs> some sense. Yeah, uh, it's very gory. Uh, it is also gross, like like just like on a on a like level, <laughs> you know, like, like a, a natural level. level kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, this stars Allison Williams and Logan Browning as these two cellists, and it bec- it starts off as this like rivalry between the two, where where Allison Williams is this character that. Uh, was once the top, you know, and she had to leave the, the like the music world to go take care of her family. Yeah. You know, her mother was ill, and Logan Browning's the new like the new hotness in the ch- in the cellist world. <laughs> I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it and it kind of starts out as this like single white female type thing where it's she's kind of like it's a revenge, not re- not quite revenge, but you know, jealousy, all this stuff. And it takes this turn at the end of the first act where you're like, what the fuck? And and it does this thing where it kind of it. It show, a thing happens, right? A crazy moment happens. The twi- like a twist happens, and it rewinds the movie, and shows you the moment it left out the first time, where it totally recontextualizes everything that happened. Guy Ritchie style. And that it can. What's that? Guy Ritchie style. 
Gary, yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. Uh, so then it happens, right? And then, and then the second act turns into this like uh, Suspiria kind of thing. This movie, it, each act is like a basically different genre and different movie. Okay, um, you know, like so the first one's like single white female. The second one becomes like Suspiria, where they're they're people at this music academy are are being trained in this kind of religious fanaticism where they're trying to achieve the perfection, quote unquote. Um, and there's this weird abuse stuff, which this movie just handles awfully. Uh, it's, it's just kind of glosses over. It makes it a plot point to further like the story rather than be about the characters, emotions and shit. So it doesn't handle that well at all. Mm. And then, uh, there's another twist and it's this, it's not the same thing, but it, it does that again, where it rewinds back to the other time and shows you the information it left out. So the second time it's really like unearned cause you did it already. Right. And then it just becomes aware of. You're just starting the scene five minutes late, and you're just not giving us the piece of information we need for the story to make sense. Okay. Uh, because the first time, it's like, whoa, that's crazy. And then the second time, it's like, mm, I don't know. Sounds like Guy but then it, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the third time, uh, the third time, sorry, the third act kind of becomes like Revenge, that movie from that came out last year, yeah. I think it was. Where it just straight up becomes like this gory, bloody, violent uh, revenge story. So like it's it's bonkers. It's weird as hell. It swings for the fences, which we usually appreciate here uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the most part. I don't know if it quite lands exactly um, on anything it's doing because it feels it has this like kind of exploitation grime feeling to it, but uh, which normally I like. I think I, I don't know if it's because it is like a shiny, sleek, n- new Netflix movie. That if you pull this exploitation shit, it's like you know, <laughs> like that that that's only allowed in like cheap. We barely got this movie made, kind of movies. Okay, I see what you're saying. It needs yeah. to it you needs know? to come out in the 70s, and you have to you have to see the film strips on the screen, kind of thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you have to. It has to be spliced with VHS uh, quality because that's the only version that's a lot, like still available <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and this is just like new shiny fluorescent. Uh, Netflix joint doing not 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 tasteful things. Uh, let's say it ends on one of the craziest uh, like final shots of a movie, which I don't really want to spoil. But like, whoa, <laughs> that's and whoever came up with that is nuts. Oh yeah, but anyway, with the gross out stuff, uh, there's a lot of like vomiting, like just like in movie, like a lot of like sickness. Okay. Uh, so it's and you know it starts off like I said in this kind of single white female like jealousy revenge th- thriller thing. And then all of a sudden, people are just, like, puking and, like, shitting themselves. And you're like, what the fuck is going on out of nowhere? <laughs> so be be warned, I guess, uh, about that. So that's, that's the perfection. All right. That is the perfection. That's a Netflix original. And uh, honestly, I'm intrigued. I'm, in- <laughs> I'm intrigued yeah. by it. Like, all that you said, yeah. like, it's it's weird. Like, you don't seem like you were that crazy about it, but... I don't... Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, it, the way you describe it makes me feel like I might want to watch it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think it's very good, but at some on some level, also I was like, "What the?" F-? I was more just like baffled that anything was happening. Right. I, I didn't hate it. Okay. I was kind of just like, "What the fuck?" I gotta I gotta have to watch the rest of this just to know what is happening. Right. Basically, there's some grand piano stuff going on too, which I know you're a big fan of. I do love grand piano. Yes. Yeah, it's it's obviously influenced by a lot of movies that I really like, and I just don't think it comes up to <laughs> equals any part of them. Right. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So that yeah. is The Perfection. It's on Netflix right now. And then I've got a few uh, movies to talk about in my discussions as well, a lot of recent releases. Uh, the first one is a movie that uh, I never thought I would see. Like, I never thought it would ever actually exist, um, but it exists now. And that is the new uh, Terry Gilliam joint, uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Look, maybe we should just go back and face a few ugly realities. 
You can explain everything to the authorities. Explain? You think explaining explains anything? Well, yes. <laughs> you have a simple view of life, Sancho. Very touching. Yeah, and you're really Don Quixote. You doubt it? <laughs> Look, do you remember years ago, about ten years ago, I was making a film? You were just an old man I found. I was lost. Forgotten. Yeah, right, but then I found you, and I thought, this guy has an interesting face. It's the kind of face I'd use now to sell insurance. I owe you a great debt, Sancho. You're restored to me. You really don't remember. Don Quixote de la Mancha, the knight of the mournful countenance, come to restore the lost age of chivalry by a special will of heaven. Mike, you're familiar with the uh, the story of the man who killed Don Quixote, the, the making of this uh, movie. Nick, are you familiar with this too? Yes, very yeah. much so. I'm a big so, Terry Gilliam fan, so uh, and I've actively uh, still not seen this movie because I don't think it ever should have been made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just on principle? Yeah, it's been too long. Just give up already. I mean, that's okay. that's that's my belief in art is if you can't do it the first time, just quit. <laughs> never try again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you tried your best and you failed. The yeah. important thing is never try. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I, I was pretty excited about this because I'm, I'm also a huge Terry Gilliam fan, and he's been trying to make this movie since like '90, like 1990, something like that. Uh, and this movie even begins with um, like an opening thing that says, "Like, <laughs> and finally, at long last, after 25 years in the making and unmaking, <laughs> <laughs> the man who killed Don Quixote." Uh, but for those unfamiliar with the story, yeah, Terry Gilliam has been trying to make this movie for like 30 years now. Uh, there's even a documentary about. The, the attempt at making this movie the first time around, uh, which was in like 2002, would have started like Johnny Depp. Uh, that documentary is called Lost in La Mancha, and it's a great portrait of just like the way everything can and will go wrong on a film set. But yeah, you've, you've, there were situations where like, the set had to burn, the burn down, and like they had to cancel the movie. Uh, one of the actors died at some point. Like to, th- Holy this, shit. this movie is dedicated to two actors uh, who were supposed to play Don Quixote in the 30 year span that this movie is being made uh, because both of them died in that 30 year span. <laughs> one, oh one, of the, one of them was John Hurt. John Hurt was supposed to play Don Quixote at one point. Oh. But anyway, in the, anyway, this final product has Adam Driver in the lead role and uh, Jonathan Price as the guy who is Don Quixote in this movie. And the plot of the movie uh, is essentially that Adam Driver plays this uh, commercial director on location in South America. And he goes back to the location where he shot his original student film that got him recognized, which was called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Uh, and he finds the guy who played Don Quixote in that film. That's Jonathan Price. Um, but he finds that today, in, in the present day, in modern times, uh, this guy truly believes that he is Don Quixote. Like, like just in his That's mind. That's amazing. And uh, if you've seen Terry Gilliam films, you know that things get weird, and this movie gets really weird. Uh, and it's it's kind of a miracle that it exists at all. Uh, I don't think it's his best film by any means, but I think it's the best thing he's made in a while. Uh, I think his last few have been, like, relatively hit or miss, and uh, this is, like, a really... Like, I, you could tell there was a lot of passion behind this one. I mean, he had him trying to make it for years and years and years. Uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's really good. It, it gets very emotional at times. It gets very it's very funny at times. Uh, Adam Driver does this whole bit where he's uh, imitating Eddie Cantor from the '30s or whatever, and it's just it's really weird and just like very goofy. Uh, and Jonathan Price giving it his all, like he's going all out, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed the Manical Dunka Hotel, and it feels like a good capper to Terry Gilliam's career. Like if he like he should never make another movie after this. He did it. He completed like he. Like, Don Quixote is the story of a man who, uh, you know, outclassed by his ambitions and all that kind of stuff. And, like, it seemed like this movie was going to reflect life in a weird way because, like, Terry Gilliam just could never get the movie made. Uh, but now he finally did. He can, like, he can retire now at this point if he wants to. 
Uh, and I think it would be a good one for him to end on. But, uh, yeah. Do you happen to know off the top of your head how many other movies he's made since trying to get this one made? Oh, yeah. No, he's he's made, um, I mean, since since trying to get this one made the first time, which was like 2002. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he made The Brothers Grimm uh, in 2005. He made, uh, what was that movie? The one with Heath Ledger. Oh, The Imaginarium uh, of Dr. Parnassus? Yes, that was it. Okay. Uh, and which the... was Heath yeah, he played yeah. his last role. Yeah. Uh, and then he made uh, The Zero Theorem in 2013, which nobody but me saw. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. I didn't see it. Uh, yeah, it. that movie was not great, but it's, uh, it, it, it was an interesting movie because it, ca- it was really him trying to recall Brazil, which is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, his best movie. Um, but uh, yeah, The Zero Theorem, it's like him trying to do Brazil again, and there's some interesting stuff in there, but it just doesn't really work. Uh, but this one, I think, is his best since, I don't know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, maybe, which was the late 90s. Even that movie, I'm not, like, Terry Gilliam's a director who I enjoy a lot, um, but I usually, like, he has a tendency to go insane, like, for, for some of his <laughs> movies. And I, I tend to enjoy his movies most when the insanity is, like, reined in a little bit, in a weird way. Like, you know, when the insanity's present, like, it's getting weird and crazy, but, like, it's not just completely off the rails. And so Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, even, is not a movie that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, but the movie before that, 12 Monkeys, also one of my favorite movies ever. That's, that's a great movie. But yeah, The Man Who Could Quijote, I think, uh, is one of Terry Gilliam's stronger films and a good grace note to end his career on if he chooses to end his career. Anyway, that is The Man Who Could Quijote. I also saw a couple other movies uh, this weekend, uh, one of which was Rocket Man, which is the, uh, the new Elton John biopic, uh, directed by Dexter Fletcher, who was the guy who directed Bohemian Rhapsody after Brian Singer got fired. Uh, so there's a weird connection there. Uh, also, also, weird thing, uh, the, the character of John Reed in this movie is played by... Um, the dude who played Rob Stark in Game of Thrones, whose name blanking on right now for some reason. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, what the hell is his name? You know, his name is Rob Stark from, Ga- yes. from Game of Thrones. That's his full name. Got it. Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. Uh, he plays the character John Reed in this movie, uh, who is Elton John's manager. And in Bohemian Rhapsody, John Reed is also a character played by Aidan Gillen from Game of Thrones. The guy played uh, Littlefinger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from Game of Thrones. From Game of Thrones, yes. Uh, so it's just like a weird, like... Cinematic universe of uh, biopics about gay musicians in the 70s uh, featuring John Reed as a manager and he's played by a Game of Thrones actor in both movies and also Dexter Fletcher directed both movies. It's very weird. It's very weird. Uh, I think I just saw today on Slash Film there was a story about how uh, Rami Malek was almost going to make a cameo as Freddie Mercury yes. in Rocket Man. Yeah, I did see that something like that. I saw a headline like that. I didn't actually read the story, but yes. Um, but anyway, I enjoy Rocket Man a lot more than I enjoy Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> I will tell you that. I think uh, you and everyone else, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Bohemian Rhapsody, and, you know, it's not that I think Bohemian Rhapsody is terrible, but it's a weird movie because it's like, it's, it, it feels like a karaoke version of Queen in a weird yeah. way, right? You know, and it's, <laughs> and, you know, and the weird thing about it is it's lip syncing to all the Queen songs and it's kind of doing it in a way where it's like, it's, it's going through Queen's career kind of, you know, step by step, but it's not really doing it the right way you know like it changes events and it changes like when songs came out and like i think it's biggest it's uh, like even matthew vaughn who produced this movie um i was talking about it in an interview said he really hated um like he really didn't like bohemian rhapsody uh and the re- and he said the reason was um because of the way they changed history and the way like even at the end of that movie they kind of change freddie mercury discovering he has aids to make it right before live aid happens yeah uh, it's a plot it's just, convenience now <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just it's very weird. So this movie kind of gets around the um, the trappings of music biopics by just making it a full blown musical, like it's a like a fantasy musical type thing. Uh, so all of Elton John's songs, a, are being sung by Taron Egerton and like by the other cast members too, because it's it's a full musical. It's not just like Taron Egerton singing Elton John songs. It's you know like there's big musical numbers and elaborate set pieces and things like that. 
Uh, and it makes it a lot more fun to watch in that regard. Like, it's, it still has the problems that I think a lot of biopics have, where it's just, you know, like, it's very hard to make a music biopic now that Walk Hard has been out for 10 years. And, like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, anything you do, it's like, this was already done. Like, Walk Hard destroyed this. You can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know? But it's it's just a lot of fun, like, watching, the, like, Taron Egerton does a great job as um, Ellen John. Uh, both in just the regular scenes and also just the way he performs uh, the music. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun to watch those sequences. I think the Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting sequence is, is a blast. The, uh, the Bitch is Back is, is a blast. Uh, the actual Rocket Man sequence is really interesting. There's a lot of really fun stuff happening here that can only be done in a film, which is what you want out of a, a music biopic, I think. So, uh, yeah, Rocket Man. It's pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. And as, also, as somebody who just saw Ellen John perform live like two months ago, it was kind of cool to uh, see that, like, that kind of connection, too. But, yeah, that is uh, Rocket Man. And then I also saw Ma uh, this, uh, this past weekend. Either of you guys uh, see anything about Ma? <laughs> I saw a woman walk out 40 minutes into it when I saw Godzilla the second time and asked for a <laughs> refund. So, uh, wow. is your reaction somewhat similar to that? Uh, no, I actually enjoyed Ma. I thought it was okay. pretty good. Uh, it's, it's a weird one. Uh, it, this is a new horror movie uh, produced by Blumhouse uh, that stars Octavia Spencer in the lead role. And Octavia Spencer is not somebody that you would expect to see in a horror movie. Like, just straight up. She's just not somebody who is typically in these kind of movies. Um, but basically, the movie is Octavia Spencer is this woman who befriends this group of teens, and she lets these teens start partying at her house. Uh, and then... You know, her intentions become a little bit more murky, and you start to realize, oh, maybe she's actually insane, and she's going to terrorize the teens. Uh, and it's a, it's a pretty good time. It's a lot of fun. It's a pretty standard slasher. It's also directed by Tate Taylor, who was the director of The Help. Um, so it's very strange. Oh, what the fuck? Yep. Yeah. It's very strange to see him reteaming with Octavia Spencer for a horror movie, like a low-budget Blumhouse horror movie. Also, Alison Janney's in this movie. Um, apparently, she's in all of Tay Taylor's movies. Did not know that. But, yeah, she's in this. Wow. Juliette Lewis also in this. A couple of cool cast members in it, too. But, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty solid kind of slasher movie. Not even really a slasher movie. Just like a psychological thriller. Uh, but there's, you know, some fun horror stuff, especially towards the end. There's actually one character... One thing that happens to one one thing happens to one character. And I won't say what it is due to spoilers, but like one thing happens to one character in this movie that's like one of my biggest fears, and and, and it's one of those things that like will haunt me for the rest of my life. So uh, wow. there is Ma. It's uh, it's pretty solid. It's not great by any means. There's better horror movies out there for sure, but uh, if you're looking for just like cheap Blumhouse horror thrills, like Ma will get you covered. You know, it's pretty funny, and Octavia Spencer's really good in it too. But yeah, that's Ma. And then I also wanted to briefly mention a movie that I watched uh, recently on Amazon Prime that came out last year called Never Going Back. One of y'all kids needs to mow that lawn. Maybe you need to mow your lawn. The city's going to come down on you. Wait, the city's going to come on us? Well, 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 look at this. If we want to go to the beach, we're going to the fucking beach. You're not hitting up our dog's party. We have to see Roderick sober. Ladies, be here in the morning. We don't have to get fucked up. We can just, like, hang for a minute and say hey. Is this seriously how you're coming to work? Y'all are high as fuck. Oh, shit, she knows. Shoot, how does she know? Uh, which was directed by Augustine Frizzle. And uh, this is a movie uh, that I saw a trailer for like once in a while, uh, like around the time it was coming out. It completely bombed at the box office, did not do well. But I think it was in like limited release. And uh, did you guys see any of the trailers for this movie? Never going back? No. Is yeah, that a it's... boxing movie? No. <laughs> or am I? Okay. <laughs> oh, never <laughs> back there... down. That's what you're thinking of, yes. Okay. Uh, no, this is a movie about uh, two like sixteen-year-old girls. One of them is about to turn seventeen, so they're gonna go like on this uh, big trip to the beach. 
but they're like, you know, they dropped out of high school years ago and they're living on their own. Uh, and so they need to make rent money. And then, you know, a bunch of circumstances happen where like all their money gets lost and they have to figure out how to make rent money and, and also still make their vacation to the beach because they're not refundable tickets. Uh, uh so, so <laughs> is it, it like up- spring breakers or is it? A, no, a bit more tame than that. It's much more tame than Spring okay. Breakers, but it, but it has like an attitude to it, which I appreciated. It's it's okay. you know it's it's a you know a dirty movie. It's not like you know a dirty movie, but it's it's a it's it's a movie. Not with a capital D. Yeah, there's yeah, glass not, on the beach. <laughs> uh, but it, it's a movie that you know ha, it is vulgar and it like revels in that, and it's just a pretty fun time. It's a good time. Kyle Mooney from SNL is in the movie too, which was pretty cool because I love him. But uh, yeah, it's it's just a pretty enjoyable time. It's there's some really funny sequences uh, where they're trying to keep their jobs, but they're also trying to go to this party and. Uh, they end up taking drugs at the party by accident, and they're trying to like cover up the fact that they took drugs at the party while they're talking to their boss, and it's clearly not working, and it's it's really funny. <laughs> uh, and you know the the way they turn to crime so easily and that kind of thing, just to try to make rent. And you know they're the two girls together, and they're both uh, relatively unknown actresses, and I don't have their names written in front of me right now, otherwise I'd say them. But uh, they're both really good together, uh, and their relationships a lot of fun. So yeah, never going back. It's available on Amazon Prime right now, and uh, worth checking out. It's a pretty good time. Uh, and then finally, just have a couple uh, quick hits uh, from Netflix to talk about real quick. Uh, I'm a huge Lonely Island fan, right? I've been a fan of Lonely Island since uh, Lazy Sunday came out back in 05. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, if you follow the Lonely Island Twitter account, uh, they posted this video that said uh, something new is coming, basically. Like, at midnight tonight, the surprise Lonely Island release, they're calling it a visual poem. And, you know, I was like, what the, what, what could that mean? Like, what is, what is that even like? I don't even know what that means. Uh, and then it was revealed the next day I woke up and uh, their new Netflix project was out. And it was called uh, The Lonely Island Presents The Unauthorized Bash Brothers Experience. And basically what this is, is a half hour sung through music video uh, in the vein of like Beyonce's Lemonade. Uh, in which Andy Samberg and Akiva Schaefer play uh, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire from <laughs> from the o- oh from God. the Oakland days in like circa the late eighties, <laughs> and and it's a half hour sung through music video that is just them as Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire talking about their time on on the baseball team, talking about their steroid use, talking about all the ladies they were banging. It's great. <laughs> it's such a, it's so oddly specific of a thing to do. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's like, if you're not a fan of Lonely Island, if you and if, I think you either have to be a deep, hardcore fan of Lonely Island or really into the Oakland A's circa 1988 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. To, it sounds like this. just one big barrier to entry. Like, there's no reason to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's definitely, it's, it's made, it, it, it definitely feels like Andy and Akiva made this, like, for themselves specifically before they made it for anybody else. Uh, but it's a blast to watch. Like, as somebody who is just a fan of Lonely Island, like, it's, again... I, if you're not into their stuff, don't watch this. It's it's like it's not for anybody that's not like specifically a Lonely Island fan. But uh, but there's a lot of fun stuff in it. My Rudolph shows up. Uh, Sterling K. Brown shows up as Sia, uh, and it's wonderful. It's it's pretty great. Uh, Jenny Slate is in this as well, and uh, yeah, it's the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience, and uh, it's a pretty great comedy special on Netflix right now. And then on top of that, uh, I finally got to watch uh, I Think You Should Leave but, uh, with Tim Robinson, which is the new sketch comedy show starring Tim Robinson. It used to be on SNL, and also produced by the, by the Lonely Island, I think. I think Akiva Schaefer directed like, all the episodes or something like that. But yeah, this show is great. Nick, you've watched this a bunch of times, right? Oh yes, I've watched it multiple times. Uh, well, as soon as I learned all the episodes are like 15 to 17 minutes, there's really yes. no reason not to watch them over and over and over again. Right, um, I mean, there's only six episodes, um, and they're all 15 minutes long, so you can bang it out in like an hour and a half and be done. Yeah. 
It's it's shorter <laughs> than a movie, and yeah, it's it's perfect. It now all I do is walk around and say TC Tuggers and yank on my shirt all the time, and everyone thinks <laughs> I'm insane. So um, yeah, it's 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 been great in just completely ruining my entire social life. That's great. That's that's what you want out of a sketch comedy show. Yeah, I think. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's if you're not familiar with Tim Robinson, I mean, he um, like he was on SNL for like a year, maybe two, and he was always he was like a fringe cast member. I think he was a writer on the show too, and he was one of those cast members that like he was hired on the show and never really broke out, never really got to be in a ton of sketches. So you know, when he when he left SNL, I was like, okay, that's you know, whatever. Like I, I, I'm a huge SNL fan, and I follow it, and it's 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 one of those weird things where it's like you, I, I always like to follow and like see where the cast members land and like who who stays, who goes, and that kind of thing. Uh, and then Tim Robinson left, and he ended up doing. Um, Netflix had a show a few years ago called The Characters, which basically the idea behind that show was they would give like eight different comedians just like free reign to do whatever for like an episode of a show so like one episode i remember the first episode was lauren lapkus and so it was just like a half hour of sketches that lauren lapkus like wrote and starred in and all that kind of stuff and tim robinson uh did like episode seven of the characters and it's incredible if you haven't seen episode seven of the characters that tim robinson did it's great and it, it sort of feels like the basis for what i think you should leave ended up being uh recently so yeah and this this show premiered like a little over a month ago and it was one of those things that like everybody on my twitter feed was talking about it and it's just like one of those things i, I hadn't gotten around to watching uh, so I finally did it this past week, and uh, yeah, it's great. And I've I've been kind of doing the same thing as like not TC Tuggers, but I've been <laughs> quoting the uh, quoting the uh, "You have no good car ideas" guy. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> which is probably my favorite sketch in the whole show. But I, I also really love. I think it's in the first episode with uh, Vanessa Bayer on Instagram, just like oh yeah, <laughs> just, like just reading off like the most vulgar things imaginable, and it's it's great. Look what I just posted. Brunch with these two dum-dums. Oh my gosh, so good. Is this good? I said Sunday fun day with these idiots. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's great. So, so cute. cute. Okay, okay, so cute. Look what I just posted. Eating crap with these sacks of shit. If they died tomorrow, no one would shed a tear. So cute. <laughs> Wait, what the hell? You called me a dum-dum and she called me an idiot. So. Yeah, when you post a pic of yourself where you look really cute, then you have to say something a little self-deprecating so it doesn't look like you're just bragging. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, this is good. Slapping down some pig shit with these fat fucks, and I'm the fattest of them all. If I died tomorrow, no one would shed a tear. Load my freaking lard carcass into the mud. No coffin, please. Just wet, wet mud. Bay. <laughs> uh, it's it's so, intense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's it just the music of it. Just the, Tim Robinson does not have the delivery of a human being. Because right. every line he says sounds like he recorded it in, like, six different rooms at different points in time, and it just sounds wrong. And there's just something so offbeat about it that it's 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 almost hypnotizing. Yeah, and, it's one of those yeah. shows where, like, you know, somebody will say, like, a euphemism for, like, pooping is, like, somebody, like, oh, I made a mud pie in the toilet. And that's, like, <laughs> but it's one of those things where, like, everybody in the sketch knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's, never, it's never brought up how surreal it is that he's just using that. Like, that's not even the surreal part of the sketch. Exactly. You know? It's just, like, an added detail to it. It's very weird. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. And uh, it's pretty great. If you haven't watched it, very easy to watch. 15-minute 15, 15 episodes, six episodes long. Uh, so yeah, I, I believe that about wraps up our discussions, guys. So let's move on into our featured review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. The mass extinction we feared has already begun, and we are the cause. We are the infection. But 
But like all living organisms, the Earth unleashed a fever to fight this infection. Its original and rightful rulers, the Titans. For thousands of years, these creatures have remained in hiding around the world. And unless all the Titans are found, our planet will perish, and so will we. They are the only guarantee that life will carry on. All right, that was from the trailer for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the new movie written by Mike Doherty and Zach Shields and directed by Mike Doherty. It stars Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby, Millie Bobby Brown, Bradley Whitford, Sally Hawkins, Charles Dance, Thomas Middleditch, and Ken Watanabe, among others. And the IMDb plot synopsis for Godzilla 2 reads... The cryptozoological agency Monarch faces off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. Uh, now, guys, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Gareth Edwards Godzilla from 2014. I like that movie a lot. Um, it's a slow build, but it's an effective one. It's a movie that has more than a few similarities to Jurassic Park, and uh, I think both that and Jurassic Park do a great job of capturing that sense of awe, seeing these gigantic creatures up close. It's a really interesting movie to watch, and I think a very unusual one for the current blockbuster landscape. Uh, and I was looking forward to Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, I knew the promise was a lot more monster action, and that's what the trailer kind of delivered, and I, I'm a huge fan of Mike Doherty, the director as well, because he directed uh, one of my favorite uh, Halloween movies, Trick or Treat, uh, as well as uh, Krampus, which is a better movie than people give credit for, too. Now, were you guys excited for uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters? Nick, you're a huge Godzilla fan. Uh, were you a fan of the 2014 version first? Yes, I absolutely adore that movie, and I think it's probably, well, with, without going into too much more, I think it's the best representation of how to make an Americanized version of Godzilla. Yeah. Because you, you have that sense of scale, but it's just, the characters are almost good, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're just enough to give you an audience lens, and that's all that you need. And that's, yes. it's every, every single scene of that movie is like a painting, specifically like the halo jumping, and there's one point where the Mutos is just coming down like next to the Golden Gate Bridge and just dive bombs into an aircraft carrier, and it's just, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Like, you could, every single scene from that could be a wallpaper, and I don't know why it's not. <laughs> yeah, and I, I had to do a lot of defending of that movie back when it came out, at least to a few groups of friends, because a lot of people, I guess, in the wake of Pacific Rim, were just pissed that there wasn't Godzilla every two minutes. Right. Which, I don't know. And granted, it is kind of like, he, it seems like he's doing it on purpose, where, like, Godzilla is about to hit a Muto, and then the door closes right in front of you, and it's like, he, yes. he's teasing you, but it's it's so worth it. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. I think the build-up is really effective in that movie, and it, honestly, the response to that... You know, I, I think this movie is sort of a response to that complaint of the movie. Yeah. Uh, where it, it, it reminds me a little bit of, like, when Superman Returns came out, like, the big, one of the big complaints about it, the fans had, was like, well, there wasn't enough of Superman action and that kind of thing. And then Man of Steel comes out, and I was like, all right, that's too much. Let's dial it back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's over and in a way, King of the Monsters almost feels the same way, but we'll get to my thoughts in a minute. Mike, uh, are you you're a fan of the 2014 version? Yes, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it, actually, in full. Um, so I don't really remember, you know, it's, I haven't had a reappraisal, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember really liking it. I remember being uh, disappointed a bit in that, you know, there's 20 minutes of Godzilla in my two-hour Godzilla movie, <laughs> two-hour and 15. I feel like it was felt kind of long. I don't remember exactly what the runtime is. Mm. 
But I still enjoyed it. I mean, we get that badass, let them fight, you know? Yes. Like, it's worth it just for that. Yeah, <laughs> still, still uses a GIF uh, very heavily these days. All the time, yeah. Yeah, and I liked it. I, I have, like, a kind of... I have a history with Godzilla movies. I remember my dad's friend or somebody used to make us, uh, you know, VHS tapes, but it would be one of those things where it's, like, five movies crammed onto one, right. uh, <laughs> one cassette. Uh, and it had, you know, Godzilla... I forget... I don't remember exactly which one. I think it was Godzilla vs. Mothra, Mechagodzilla. You yeah. know, it had, it had like some of those kind of classic Godzilla movies. Um, but I, I watched those, you know, before I had like a brain for movies. Um, <laughs> you know, like when I was that young. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I have that kind of history with it, and um, just like it's something close to my heart. So I think I'm like kind of predisposed to like uh, Godzilla movies in general. Sure. So, I mean, I like the first one, or the first one, Jesus. The 2014 uh, the, one. The, the, the 2014 one. Yeah, like one, yeah. the 35th one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I did, you know, since it's kind of, well, I guess we'll get into it, whatever. Okay. Well. I was going to talk about Skull Island. <laughs> well, you can talk about Skull Island if you want. So, yeah. I mean, they're all part um, of the same universe now, yeah. right? So That's Also, right. they talked a lot about Skull Island in this movie. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. boy, did they. Dude, take a <laughs> shot every time they mention Skull Island in this movie. <laughs> you won't make it. You won't make it through. <laughs> no. uh, but, yeah, if you want to mention Skull Island, Mike, go ahead. What were your thoughts on that movie? Uh, I, I remember liking the fuck out of that movie. That movie was a blast. It's just so silly and goofy and felt so different. I feel like that was kind of the response to... Uh, the complaints to 2014's mm. Godzilla. Yeah, I can see, um, see where you come from with that. Yeah, and I, I get yeah, that. Sure. Honestly, I, I remember liking Kongskull Island, but definitely being a little underwhelmed by it too. Like it was one of those. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Because I, because I personally liked the 2014 version of Godzilla a lot more. I liked that approach to it, and then when it was just all monster action, I felt like it was like, all right, this is yeah. I'm a little exhausted <laughs> by this, maybe. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but yeah, Nick, since we're talking about Skull Island, what was your thoughts on that movie, just real quick? Uh, similar things where I just I, I don't care about the big-ass monster fights and Kong finding, like, a sword to hit a... What are they? Skull crawlers? Like, I I liked so much of, like, the, the opening part where it's just you see, like, the helicopters go over the island and it's just the more oh, yeah. cinematic view of it, which is also yeah. just... It's robbing from Apocalypse Now and, like... Yeah. There's a bunch of other long. points where it's just clearly stealing from better movies, but I liked those parts more than when the movie was being different. Um... <laughs> But at the same time, it's it's fun and it's fine, and eighty uh, percent of the cast of Captain Marvel's in it, so uh, you can appreciate that. Uh, Look at that! Holy shit! Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's weird. That's weird to think about. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's you know Godzilla 2014, Kongsville Island. Now we have this new movie, Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is supposed to lead into uh, Godzilla vs Kong, which is coming out next year, March 2020. Uh, that's supposed to be released. Uh, now Godzilla King of the Monsters. Nick, we'll start with you. What were your overall thoughts on this movie? Um, I kind of wish all the characters spoke Japanese, so I had no idea what they were saying the whole time. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, that's the best assessment I could think of. Actually, okay, it's perfect. Yeah, uh, and yeah, <laughs> just overcorrecting so much. There's just there's too much monster fights going on, and I I I know it's a movie, and some people don't like that, but it just it. It has no weight to it whatsoever when you don't care about it. Like, the reason the ending of 2014 Godzilla works so well when he, like, does the atomic breath into the Mutos is because there's yeah. been nothing. It's been all build up to this. And then they do basically that exact same shot eight or nine times in this movie. And I'm just yeah. I'm just tired of it. And it, <laughs> it, it just, I don't know. We'll, we'll get more into it, but it, I was a little underwhelmed, and I kind of wish all the characters didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you saw it twice, right? Oh, yeah. I saw it two days in a row. Well, the first day I accidentally <laughs> spent $70 on drinks at the Alamo Draft House, so I needed to see it a second time to make sure that I uh, fully got it. 
Um, that sounds right. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right, so Mike, what were your uh, overall thoughts on uh, the new Godzilla King of the Monsters? I this is such a this is so weird. Um, so you felt Nick that there was just way too much monster fights? Yeah, I. It should be, every movie should be silent, there should be two scenes of action, and most of it should just be, like, close-ups of people's faces or, like, a sunset. <laughs> like, everything, everything should be... It's either long shots or close-ups. Yeah, that's... that's, that's you, you, all that's, movies from this point forward, That's yes. how you get scale. It's like Assassination of Jesse James. You get, like, a picture of a train, and then you get a field, and then you get Brad Pitt's face, and that's a whole movie for two and a half hours, and it's, it's flawless. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's got wow. you there. Yeah, I mean, well, how it's yeah, what do I how Deacon? What do I even do? <laughs> yeah, you can't go against your friend boy. of the show. Yeah. <laughs> friend of the show, Roger Deacons. Yep. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I just for one didn't give a single ounce of a fuck about anybody in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's the writing, everything about it, like the writing, all the characters, the stupidest, lowest common denominator. Yeah. Say the thing that will advance us to the next scene, and we'll go to the next scene. That said. I wanted some fucking monster fights, and, like, there's a lot in here, for sure, but this movie is kind of advertised slash billed as just, like, no-holds-barred, cage-match monster fights. There's, like, it's it's a long movie, and there's not enough monster fights for me. Like, <laughs> that would have been the thing, that would have been the thing that saved this movie for me. If it was just dumb, like, it is dumb. But, I mean, if we just acknowledged it was dumb, and we're like, say the thing to get to the monster fight, and that's it... And the rest of the movie, it's. I wanted ten minutes of exposition and an hour and forty five minutes of fighting, and it's the other way around for me. And I was just like, I'm out. I yeah. don't care. I, right. I, like I saw a lot of people complaining that critics were saying there's too much monster fights, but I couldn't find it. Did you guys actually find like an article slash review slash a criticism of it saying that there was online? too much monster fights or something? Uh, no, yeah. nothing like that. I mean, I, I will say. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's interesting that like, Nick thought there wasn't enough, or Nick thought there was too much and you thought there wasn't enough. Uh, I feel like I'm somewhere directly in the middle, actually. Where, <laughs> oh, so we're honestly, a perfect focus group for this movie, yes. I guess. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, because here's the thing. I, I think the movie is structured, like, if you look at the history of Godzilla movies, most of them don't have a ton of Godzilla in it. No. That's, that's just no. a thing with Godzilla movies. Like, you'll, you'll get, like, you know, an hour and a half of you know, Japanese people doing their thing in Japan, like, trying to figure out, like, what do we do with this Godzilla problem? And, like, you might see, like, a little bit of Godzilla, like, midway through the movie. But then the actual final fight is, like, the really, like, when you actually see Godzilla for the most part. I'm fine with that structure, and that's the way that the 2014 movie is structured. This movie, I think, has a similar structure, but the problem is, whenever it's doing a monster fight, uh, which is what we kind of come there to see, it, it's always cutting away to the humans during the fight. And that's my problem. <laughs> with the movie. I think there's, like, the exact right amount of monster fighting, where it's, like, there's enough exciting stuff, and I think the monsters look amazing. I think the movie, the movie itself looks awesome, and the sound is great, the sound design is great. Everything about, like, the actual like, production value of the movie, it's great, um, but every time you're in a monster fight, it's cutting back to, like, what the boring humans are doing, and, like, no, I don't care about them. I want to see Godzilla rip Rodan's head off or something. Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to see that. Uh, honestly, like, I-, I mentioned before, the original Godzilla is kind of evoking Jurassic Park. Uh, this one is The Lost World. It's, it's kind of just ripping that movie where, you know, it's, wow. they're, like, in the same way, whereas, like, The Lost World and this movie, I think, are very well-directed movies. They look awesome. They sound awesome. Uh, but they're, like, decidedly not awesome. At least in my eyes. Mike, I know you're a Lost World fan. Um, yeah, you step you step off. <laughs> but, it's my Spider-Man three. <laughs> it's fair, uh, but yeah, but I think this movie it's weird because it feels more complicated than the original movie. 
than the, or the 2014 movie. Um, but at the same time, just also feels dumber. Like, the, like it's, <laughs> the new human characters are on paper more compelling than Aaron Taylor Johnson, right? I think if I have a complaint about the 2014 movie is that Aaron Taylor Johnson's kind of a bland leading, leading man. But what they're given to do just doesn't make sense. And when it does, it's not as compelling as wh- what, what Aaron Taylor Johnson was doing in that movie. Like, all, like even the human stuff in that movie... Like all, there's a lot of really cool set pieces. Like Nick mentioned the uh, the skydiving thing, and there's the whole thing on the train with Aaron Taylor Johnson, the kid in that movie. And like there's a lot yeah. of really well directed set pieces with the humans and everything with the humans in this movie. Uh, whenever they're doing things, just like none, none of it, none of it matters. None of it makes sense. None, it just leaves you with a sense of a movie spinning its wheels while it waits for the monster action, and then when it gets to the monster action, it cuts away to show you what the humans are doing. <laughs> yes. Okay, that might be a much more well-articulated version of what I was trying to say. <laughs> so I think that's that I think you I think you might be diagnosing what made me feel that there's not enough monster fights cuz okay. there there are like I don't know what the runtime runtime breakdown is, but there is like a pretty significant portion of the movie that is monsters fighting, but it's like you said it's anytime we're doing it, we're also going back to this other thing that nobody gives a single fuck about, right. I think, in my opinion. <laughs> um, with whatever MacGuffin we're fighting, chasing right. for the whole movie. Yeah. And again, I think the monster action is awesome when it's there. I think there's like a lot of really cool stuff in those sequences. Uh, but yeah, it has this tendency to just cut away. And it's like, no, go back. Go back. Go back. Go back to the what you were doing well. Um, but that said, like, despite all that, I think there are moments that are like amazing in this movie. Like these transcendent moments of beauty that make it, like, impossible to just write off the movie, like a Jurassic World sequel or something, you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, like there's there's moments in this movie, and we'll talk about them in spoilers, where I'm just like, yeah, that, that's an incredible sequence, that's an incredible shot, it's awesome, but it's just couched in, like, this really dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost wonder uh, if, if like, because like you said, the movie looks incredible. The monster designs and, and everything about them is really cool. And I just wonder if some of the decisions they make are to, like, make the budget less like why why is it always a vision obscuring weather event whenever there's a monster fight like well, i don't I, understand CG, that just... cg looks better in the rain and it'll probably age better as a result of that but at the same sure. time not everything has to be the same shade of blue and black to the point where yeah, yeah like the, the best parts are when you see like the lightning go into Ghidorah because it's like oh i can finally see what's happening and then that goes away <laughs> right. in a half a second so yeah, it's, it's it's hard to really justify that stuff, but it almost feels like it's a three-hour movie that someone said, oh, you need to cut it down, but instead of getting rid of the monster fights, they're like, we need to leave space for this human conflict, so they <laughs> instead just cut away from all the monster fights, and yeah, it gives you no time to digest what's happening in front of you, because the second you're about to see it, just look at Eleven's face while she talks to the red stocks or whatever i don't know yeah i mean i get that i I honestly i really like the way this movie looks like i think the way it it uses light and shadow is really interesting uh i love the way it sounds and the mix is awesome and like i think the reimagining of the monsters is cool especially Ghidorah. i think Ghidorah is like a a massive achievement in this movie like it's so he looks so cool in this movie uh and i really love the the score the score for this movie uh, composed by bear mccreary uh which is doing its own thing but it's also reimagining a lot of the classic themes like the 1954 godzilla theme is present in this movie and it's like just this really big bombastic version of it and it's really cool plus when it comes to credits it plays uh, a cover of godzilla by blue oyster cult uh featuring uh the guy from system of a down on lead vocals and it's fucking awesome it's so good yeah that was incredible (laughs) but yeah but otherwise like you know i feel like i appreciate a lot of this movie on a technical level and I think it's a very well-made movie. It's just one of those things where, like, anytime it's dealing with the human characters, it falls completely flat for me. 
And unfortunately, that's a good portion of the movie. <laughs> I, I tweeted out after I saw it that I, I want David Leitch to direct the next one, or Leitch, David Leitch to direct the next one. Yeah, the co-director uh, of John Wick, who did Deadpool 2 also, right? Yeah, I, the monster fights need to be John Wicked. Like, I need to be able to see what the fuck is going on between these in these monster fights because it's so, <laughs> like Nick alluded to, the light. Like, they're all kind of the shame, shame, the same shade of blue. Uh, and like, there's so much cutting back and forth, and we're cutting to the humans, and we're cutting back to the monsters, and like, they're just rolling around. I think. Yeah. I don't really know what's going on, and I just want to like give me a medium shot of Godzilla. <laughs> And Ghidorah just having, like, a fist fight. Give me it. That's what I want. Right. Counterpoint. I want... Godzilla versus John Wick. Yo, that's a tough call. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who would win? I'm not really into that whole fan film thing, so uh, I'll set this one out for a few minutes. If you want to just get get it out of your system. (laughs) No, no, we're good. We're good. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I just just want Godzilla gunfu, is what I'm really saying. Right. I mean, that makes sense, for sure. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe we'll get Mecha Godzilla or something, and he'll have big cannon arms, so... Yeah, yeah. You I mean, never know. You never yeah. know. Uh, but yeah, and this movie does a lot to try to uh, build up a cinematic universe, like we kind of alluded to before. Uh, they mentioned Skull Island a lot in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> and when they're and when they're not mentioning it, there's like papers on the screen that be like, and this is where Skull Island is, and like that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but it, intru- it also what kind of frustrated me about this movie it introduces the idea that there's like 18 different monsters kind of roaming around the world right now, and then at the end of the movie, it's like, oh man, all these monsters are loose. What are we gonna do? And then, like, you only see, like, three of them? Uh, and, then, and like, you know, it's, 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 it's weird for a movie to build up the idea that there's these, all these different monsters roaming around the world, and then, like, three of them are there. And they're cool, and, like, I get why, like, you know, it would be, like, the fight is already chaotic enough as it is in Boston. Like, it would be tough to render, like, 18 different monsters. But then, like, why, why, why introduce the idea that there's all these different monsters roaming around if you're not going to really do anything with that for this movie? Unless yeah. it's for a future movie, which is obviously what it's there for. You know, <laughs> I don't know. The Earth's big. They all they all walked there. Coming a little slack. Some of them can fly, yeah. man. I don't Some know. Some of them can fly. <laughs> there, there might be like a, a gargantuan like by Florida, and he's just trying to truck his way up to Massachusetts, but he just can't do it. He gets, can't make yeah. it. He gets there after Godzilla leaves. He's like, oh fuck, did yeah. I miss it? <laughs> That's how Mammoth Man basically was. Whatever. I don't know what that monster's actual name is, but oh right, the one that shows up at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like we cut to him a couple times doing his mammoth thing, and like it seems like that one's going to be important because they keep cutting to it, and then right. he just shows up after everything's over. Like, whoops! They're probably just oh, proud yeah. of the design or something. Yeah, yeah. you guys done? Cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy Boston, sweet. Uh, <laughs> Gotta go. Yeah. All right. You guys have any other uh, thoughts about Godzilla? Spoiler-free stuff before we get into spoilers. I kind of wish they would just make a Godzilla movie where the monster fights could be ridiculous, but all the people were, like, super serious. Because that's, if you look back to, like, the 50s and 60s, it's always, like, people at desks trying to figure out how are we going to destroy them, and then, like, Godzilla's, right. like, dancing in the middle of a field somewhere. <laughs> and it, it looks it looks <laughs> horrific. But I just want, I want, like, the the point of view shots that we got from 2014 Godzilla so, like, you see, like, a crowd of people, like, looking horrified as God, like, little baby Godzuki's, like, stomping his feet on the ground. Right. And Mothra's just shooting shit all over. And it's just, that's, <laughs> is that so much to ask? I, I, I get the feeling I'm not the only audience member for that. Or maybe your guys' yeah. silence means that I'm just ranting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get that. Honestly, I, like, as far as Godzilla movies go, I, and I enjoy the 2014 movie a lot, uh, my favorite Godzilla movie from the last, like, you know, two decades is Shin Godzilla from 2016. Uh, which was the first Japanese Godzilla movie in, like, over a decade, I think. Yeah. Um, 
But that movie is a really interesting one because it's, it really plays like a satire of Japanese, Japanese bureaucracy. Uh, it, it's like a weird version of like Veep that just happens to have Godzilla in it. Uh, and it's really clever and really funny and also like the, the monster action where it's, it's really just the humans versus Godzilla in that one. But it does a great job with that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, Shin Godzilla, if you haven't seen it, and Nick, I'm, I'm assuming you have. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike, have you seen Shin Godzilla? No, I've been hearing a lot about it recently, so I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, uh, yeah. if you haven't seen it, if you're in, in the audience right now and you haven't seen Shin Godzilla and you're a Godzilla fan, uh, I think it's the best Godzilla movie that we've gotten in a very long time. Uh, it's, it's really great, and I, I wish they would kind of do more with that, like a more like a sequel to that movie or something like that. Uh, that's from the guy who did like Neon Genesis Evangelion or something like that. Yeah. Well, they, they've uh, made several anime spinoffs of it, but there's no like full-length movie stuff. So. Right, yeah. yeah. I've not watched any of the anime stuff, but uh, yeah. But it's the movie's fun. really good. And uh, if, you, if, you've, if you felt like, disappointed after King of the Monsters, I think Shin Godzilla was, is the perfect palate cleanser for that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the spoilers right now, guys, for Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Alright, spoilers for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, starting right now. So, uh, yeah, guys, I, I don't really have too much in spoilers that I wanted to talk about, but I just wanted to kind of reference my favorite scene in the movie, uh, which is the scene where Ken Watanabe sacrificed himself to save Godzilla. Yeah. Which is one of those moments I was talking about of, like, this transcendent beauty that I mentioned before. Uh, and, you know, if we had, if we had to spend a ton of time with the human characters i would have liked more stuff like this i mean ken watsnabi uh also in the first movie one of the few characters from the first movie to have carried over into this one that's him sally hawkins who dies like halfway through um and then i think david straight there was also in the first movie yeah he was uh, he, he was like the army general or whatever and he, yeah, he has one he, line in this same as the first yeah, he, one so yep. he pops up for like a minute uh and then also actually apparently one of the uh one of the army guys is supposed to be an adult version, uh, like an old, a much older version of one of the characters from Kong Skull Island, but I don't know who, okay. which one that is. And also, I don't remember any of the characters yeah. from Kong Skull Island, so there's... I, <laughs> so there's I really too. thought Charles Dance was going to end up being um, Tom Hiddleston's character like 35 years later or something. Whoa, and I feel like it's such a wasted bit of potential just to not do that, but I don't know. <laughs> Um, but that scene with Ken Watanabe, I think, is really great. I mean, he's a great actor, and he plays that scene really well. Uh, and it, it also hints at this much larger world where, like, there's this big, deep history of Godzilla, this ancient, like, monster city that they find underwater. It's pretty incredible. Uh, and then, yeah, that whole sequence, I really like that. Uh, so that's, as, as far as this movie goes, like, it's worth it just for that sequence for me. Uh, and and again, I, I do like a lot of the other stuff, and, like, the, uh, like, uh, just, just the design of Ghidorah, I was kind of in awe of that and that kind of thing, but, like, uh, I, I was I didn't feel like I was cheated in this movie anyway because I saw that scene and I was like yeah this is that was good <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that that one scene Nick referenced earlier where uh, Ghidorah like shoots the lightning into the sky or whatever and it, right. like it's like a very pa- it's a painting is that right? the one with the, like uh, the cross in front of him too is that yes, yes. maybe <laughs> I remember yeah. Mike, Mike Doherty the director of the movie um, tweeted that image a few months ago when it was in the trailer and he, and he captioned it where is your Godzilla now and that was, <laughs> and I loved that that was that's that was amazing <laughs> just in general this movie like it doesn't make any sense I don't think we really need to, to talk about it though <laughs> well let's, Somebody, let's talk about Vera Farmiga I think for a bit um, because her, her character is Thanos do we have she's, to <laughs> yeah I don't I, wow she's straight up Thanos yeah uh, her evil plan is to unleash the monsters upon the earth to wipe out a good chunk of humanity so that the earth will thrive uh and i think it's interesting to shift godzilla from a nuclear weapons allegory into a climate change allegory uh yeah for sure but like farmiga's plan is so obviously insane like from yeah. <laughs> from the outset that it's really tough to take seriously which 
is is interesting. Like, I, it's weird that like you know, again, I just mentioned that she is Thanos in this movie. Like, hundred percent, she's just Thanos. Uh, and it's weird that I, I take Thanos' plan at face value in the MCU. Uh, you know, I mean, I realize that Thanos is insane, but, like, he's he's introduced as the Mad Titan in a weird, like, in, right. in some way, right? So maybe maybe I'm, like, uh, maybe I'm, like, conditioned to like it a little bit more just there because he's an alien. So, like, obviously he has different ways of thinking than we do, <laughs> than we right. do right? Yeah. Uh, but Vera Farmiga is just, like, you know, a normal human who just wants to wipe out half of humanity, don't we all, right? It's... <laughs> Well, well, I think I think Thanos's plan, right? It's like a, it's the snap, right? People just kind of vanish, and right. Vera for the the plan in this is just like we're just going to destroy everything, and hopefully people maybe survive. Yeah, it's like I don't like what. And Thanos's yeah. whole home planet got wiped out, and he's like, I want to prevent this for everywhere else. And Vera Farmiga's like, I lost the sun; everyone else must die. <laughs> Which is like, and the best part of that is that she can't even like. There's no grand master speech. It's like, oh, we have her on Skype. Uh, should we listen in? And then she just explains everything. <laughs> it's like the email scene in Batman versus Superman. It's just, yes. it's, oh it's there God. just to get it out of the way as quick as possible. Yeah. Um, Honestly, yeah. this movie reminded me of Batman versus Superman in more ways than one. Uh, I will say. <laughs> just the way, the way it's like, you know, just these two titans kind of come together, but also just the way it tries to build a cinematic universe out of nothing, essentially. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> In that way, but yeah, but uh, yeah, Farmiga's plan is insane, uh, and likewise, her redemption at the end is a little iffy too. Like she definitely killed thousands of people. She did <laughs> not need a redemption arc. Like you get, no. you get people who are inherently bad getting good things happen to them, and vice versa. And then Charles Dance is like he he basically just shows up to be like, remember, I'm bad. And then he disappears for an hour, <laughs> and then he does it again, and then he makes it through the whole movie. Like, that's that's right. the opposite of what's supposed to happen to someone like that. Right. Well, it definitely, it definitely felt like they were setting him up for Godzilla versus Kong also. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I think the, uh, the post-credit scene of the movie yeah. uh, kind of deals with that, too. Mike, did you say for the post-credit scene? I did, yes. Okay, good. Yeah, so there's a post-credit scene in this movie, uh, and I assumed that the post-credit scene would involve King Kong in some way. Right? That would be like, the logical... That makes sense. <laughs> that would be the logical choice, but that is not what happens in this movie. Uh, the post credit scene is uh, Tywin Lannister, Charles Dance, uh, by, <laughs> buying one of Ghidorah's heads off of the black market. Uh, and my guess is that he's going to use it to build Mecha Ghidorah for Godzilla vs. Kong. That's like my... Yes, yeah. which would be awesome. Like, I would be all about that. Um, <laughs> but it's just one of those weird things where it just it feels like one of those post credit scenes where it's not really giving you enough of a thing to go on to tease you into the next movie. You know what I mean? Which I think is a problem that a lot of post credit scenes have. Uh, it's like or, the Shazam post credit scene. Right. Was it Shazam? That, the, the, the little grasshopper guy? Yeah, which which was like, if you know a lot about comics and that kind of thing, that's a really cool post credit scene. And if you don't, then that makes complete... No- it's nonsense. It's compl- it doesn't make any <laughs> yeah. sense at all. But uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of the same deal. Whereas this one, I feel you can extrapolate and be like, okay, he's going to use that head for something. Mecha Ghidorah would make sense. Godzilla versus Kong, like they'll fight together at first, and then they'll have to fight Mecha Ghidorah and team up at the end, and that kind of thing. And that's probably how the movie will go. Spoilers for Godzilla versus Kong, yeah. probably. I don't know, um, but if, <laughs> if you have that sort of like setup, the rest of the movie needs to be good first, so that way people are like craving more. If you just kind of right. have like it's a convoluted, messy thing that looks pretty, and then at the end you just have confusion. Like I know most of the people who are in the theater with me both times are just like, okay. I, what what am I meant to do with that? I'm yeah, I, I I'm just happy Chow, uh, Kyle Chandler just gets his reunion with King Kong after 15 years, so uh, that's all that matters. Right, I realized that. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> holy I, shit! I realized that the other day that uh, Kyle Chandler was in the 2005 King Kong uh, movie, and uh, and he's going to be in Godzilla vs Kong, and it's it's very weird. Uh, what if they share like a touching moment? If they acknowledge, <laughs> they acknowledge it. If he, like he's actually he's playing some kind of time displaced version of his character from. <laughs> 
yeah. Peter Jackson. We don't know. I would love if they went like full sci-fi with that and just did crazy shit with it. Um, that would be wild. Uh, as far as the human characters go, I mean, I, I like Kyle Chandler in general, and he's fine in the movie. Like he does, like I think he's giving it his all. He's doing his thing. Millie Bobby Brown, same deal. She's fine too. Uh, and Vera Farmiga is also like doing fine work too. Like they're all they're all good actors and they're doing good work. Um, it's yeah. just that the stuff they're given is like not really worth it. The only character that I think you could have gotten, I mean, you could have gotten rid of most of the characters, honestly. But if you really had to get rid of one character, cut Thomas Middleditch, cut, cut Thomas Middleditch out of the movie, give his lines to Bradley Whitford, and just move on. Like, there's no reason for him to be in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but know? he finally uh, got his big break. That's I like the every time he got on screen, I was happy, and then I realized no one else cares. <laughs> Um, I mean, I like I like Thomas Middleditch too, and yeah. I like him on Silicon Valley, uh, which is a great show, and he's very funny on Comedy Bang Bang too. But uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it, like him in this movie, it's just like it's it's weird because Bradley Whitford's character seems like the character that Thomas Middleditch should be playing, exactly. You know, like yeah. that kind of like you know the comic relief character who's like just kind of there in the background making snarky comments, right, and that kind of thing. But instead, it's Bradley Whitford who. Uh, honestly, I was all about that. Like, I think Bradley Whitford was having a lot of fun in this movie. Uh, and apparently, from what I read, uh, Mike Doherty was saying that uh, Bradley Whitford's character was apparently partially modeled on Rick from Rick and Morty. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is yeah, kind of I, that makes sense. Uh, like, he, he made sure, like, I guess there's a lot of scenes where Bradley Whitford's character is, like, drinking something when no one else is and that kind of thing. And, like, that's partially meant to, like, kind of pay tribute to Rick. But, uh <laughs> Yeah. He's always talking about the hollow earth theory and how he was right and like all that stuff. Right, yes. Uh, and that was kind of fun. It was kind of cool just seeing Bradley Whitford kind of bouncing around doing this kind of role. Uh, honestly, like there's a, there's one moment towards the end where um, they're watching these monitors with like 18 different monsters in all these different parts of the country and Bradley Whitford's watching them and I was like, like this is Cabin in the Woods. This is Cabin in the Woods all over yeah. again. <laughs> like, it's one, of those, one of those channels has like one monster that's going to be like turned into a little happy frog yeah. at the end. Uh, <laughs> what about uh, how we basically kill Sally Hawkins like off screen, and then we have to show her her employee file with the word "deceased" stamped across it, so we know she died. Yeah, I didn't. I, mean, I didn't I know think, who that was. I, the The first time I saw it, I saw it darkness, and then a person got stomped, and I was like, "Did they? Did they kill Millie Bobby Brown? Did they kill a soldier? I don't <laughs> like, know who, who that, that was." Yeah, and then they uh, cut away. I, I, so. Yeah, I, I knew it was Sally Hawkins. I thought that was like it, it seemed like it was a pretty clear death. I think she she gets did she gets stomped or she gets eaten. I think she gets eaten. Like, the head I think comes it, down, yeah. like, okay. Actually, like swallows her. They do that, and then they cut back to like Ghidorah doing like the toss it between the two of them kind of cut, which is just yeah, like right. she doesn't deserve that. Like what? Did, she gets killed like the babysitter and exactly. The yeah, it's just cruel. I don't get it. I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, I, I remember the babysitter from Jurassic World. That one is uh, yeah. <laughs> burned in my brain. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember that coming coming across yeah. this movie. But uh, yeah, I thought her death scene was fine. Like it was whatever. You, I, I feel like you need some of the human characters to die uh, in a, in a movie like this. I mean, not necessarily, but like it helps. You know, it's it's in the same way that like you know Kong Skull Island was very cavalier about killing off characters left and right. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and so this movie, it kills off Sally Hawkins, it kills off Ken Watanabe in, like, a big scene, as opposed to, like, just getting tossed off, uh, like Sally Hawkins does, um, which, like, yeah, I could see that being an issue, but, you know, I thought her death scene was fine, it just, it, it was one of those things where it's like, why even bring her back if you're gonna just do that? Exactly. <laughs> that, that's my thing, it's like, she's one of the few and only characters to come back between movies, and then she dies so quick, we have to, sh- they show, they have to show her like, employee thing with deceased on it, so you know she died. Like, if, right. she, if you're gonna kill her, absolutely, go ahead. But, like, make sure we know that she's dead. 
without having to tell us right. deceased. I mean, I think the reason they kill her off is because she's a character from the first movie, so she's somebody we theoretically have a little bit more attachment to than the, <laughs> yeah. the current characters. But even then, like, the characters from the first movie, outside of Brian Cranston, like, they were serviceable at best. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. Brian Cranston's yeah. great in that movie. Brian Cranston's good. He's, he's given a great performance in that movie. Uh, and I, like, I had to look up after the movie ended, like, if Sally Hawkins was in the first one. Because I, I haven't seen it in years. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah. it seems like she's in the first one. Like, based on how she's treated in this movie, where it's like she's always with Kim Watsonabe and that kind of thing. But, like, I had to double check. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. So, I think they kill her off to give a little bit more dramatic weight to it. And it doesn't necessarily totally work. Um, but in the same way that, like, the deaths in Kongsville Island were kind of, like, fun in a cavalier, like, sadistic sort of way. Uh, you know, I think this movie might have been trying to go for that, but if that's the case, it should have gone harder with that. It should have killed off some of the other characters too, uh, yeah. in a certain way. Yeah. But yeah, and, uh, that is a that is that. But uh, final battle is cool. Yeah, you know, final, uh, final battle is cool. Godzilla and Mothra versus Ghidorah and Rodan. Mothra dies. It's upsetting. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, that sequence was incredible. Like, oh, sorry, when Mothra like comes back. Right. Shows up at the, the aircraft carrier or wherever it, they were. It was very like, Captain Marvel in Endgame, just like swooping down and yeah. being like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's Mothra! <laughs> yes! <Yeah. laughs> um, it's good times. Yeah, uh, but that, that whole final battle, you know, it just, it's just some very fun monster action. And again, this movie does the monster action, I think, really well. And I think there's the perfect amount of it. It's just that it keeps cutting away from it to show you what the humans are doing. And it's not, you know, it's not that's not who we came here for, you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the movie ends with a bunch of monsters showing up and bowing to Godzilla, too. So, you know. There you go. Godzilla's king of the monsters now. That's that's the thing. He did Every- it. Oh, is that what yeah. it is? <laughs> <laughs> they did the title. That's yeah. the thing. They did the title of the movie, so there's that. Uh, any other final thoughts about Godzilla, king of the monsters, guys, before we move on? Um, there was one part in, uh, I can't remember the name of the, I think it was off of Venezuela, whatever that, where uh, Rodan came from. Uh, mm. Which is a single, I, I love that movie just because of the, or movie, I love that scene just because of the spectacle of it and just like the force of his wings blowing off rooftops is great. Yeah. But there's one yeah. point, so like most of the humans are normal people. There's a guy who just runs through the crowd and just goes, out of my way, and pushes two kids on the ground. <laughs> they never reference that, they never do anything else around it. There's really no other crowd shots, but that's the one indication that you got that someone was in a hurry to get out of there, and I think that's perfect filmmaking. <laughs> Um, yes. so I, I think I'd be remiss not to bring that up. So, uh, there you go. Yeah. There's my last <laughs> input about Godzilla King of the Monsters. It's like that scene in, in Jurassic World when Jimmy Buffett yeah, grabs, grabs the margaritas. Yeah, you save what's you know, important. It should have been Jimmy Buffett in that scene. That would have been, been amazing. <laughs> the Jimmy Buffett running from dinosaurs <laughs> cinematic universe. Oh, man. Now that's something I could get behind. Yes, 100%. Uh, now, as... This whole, it seems like we were all a little bit underwhelmed by Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, are you guys still excited for Godzilla vs. Kong? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, Not really, yeah. but like I'm sure I'm going to see it. Yeah, I'm sure we'll review one. it, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, it has the potential to be fun. I feel like Godzilla, or King Kong, could add some more goofiness. I don't know, he's a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most dismissive view of a movie I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> that on the poster yeah king kong i don't know he's a monkey yeah. <laughs> oh, well. tell uh, me i'm wrong though if yeah, yeah i mean you're not wrong you're not wrong uh, nick are you are you still excited for godzilla versus kong? i mean i'm excited of it uh, excited about it concept <laughs> only really at this point because conceptually yeah, yeah the movie gave me nothing to like lead into it with other than the fact that they say skull island a bunch so like 
if it if it had properly set something up or made it seem like oh this is what needs to happen then it it feels like a lead in whereas this movie just kind of ends oh he he won and there's still our our favorite monkey off on an island somewhere <laughs> right so you do you do see king kong's back at one point on one of the monitors too yeah and it's um, but it's is that enough i don't know no, I, what if, if it if it's if it's meant to be a sequel then i feel like you need to do something but at the same time i'm happy they didn't just plaster Kong's face in there every minute and a half. Um, right. I mean, <laughs> they do. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's like that Simpsons line where it's like, anytime uh, King Kong's not on screen, everybody should be asking, where's King Kong? Yeah. That's kind of what this movie is. <laughs> what if there was a scene that was just King Kong at a wall of monitors watching all the other monsters? <laughs> like, he's secretly a genius. <laughs> he's got his In own, a lab coat. He's got his own lab on Skull Island. Where just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's an idea. Where he's yeah. like, my people need me. And he takes his glasses off and then we'll cut to credits. <laughs> uh, now, that's a post-credit scene. I like that. Yes. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Godzilla vs. Kong could be good. I mean, it's directed by Adam Wingard, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, you know, directed Year Next and The Guest and uh, that Blair Witch movie that only I liked. But, uh, you know, I, I think it could be cool. You know, it's just Godzilla King of the Monsters kind of, like, it had the opportunity to get people amped for Godzilla vs. Kong, and I don't think it necessarily did that. Uh, apparently, Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown will both be in Godzilla vs. Kong in some capacity. Uh, so there's that, too. But again, I don't care about them that much in this movie. Don't really care about them that yeah. much. <laughs> don't really care about seeing them or not in the next one. Are they going to die uh, immediately as the movie starts? Uh, if, if it has the same attitude that Kong Skull Island does, then yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm fine uh, that with that. Would, yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, although, I'm, I'm curious... Like, looking back, remember the post-credit scene for Costco Island, where um, the post-credit no, scene was, yeah. like, Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston in a room, and they're trying to, and they're explaining to them that monsters exist, and they show them, like, pictures of Ghidorah and Rodan and all that stuff. And, like, in retrospect, isn't that, like, a really weird cut scene, like, post-credit scene? Because, like, there's no way Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston are coming back to these movies. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, why, why are we briefing these characters on these monsters right. when, like, you know, the, the rest of these movies are taking place in present day, so, like, their characters are going to be 50 years older uh, or whatever. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're either they're going to be played by Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston in old age makeup, <laughs> or or they're not, or they're played by different actors. Yeah. And it's like, uh, what was the point of that? Like in retrospect. Well, that's right before it cuts to the credits in Kong Skull Island. You see them escaping on the helicopter, and then Kong looks mad again. And I was like, oh, he's going to kill them all before they can leave the island. That's why no one's heard about yeah. it. And then they completely bitch out on that idea. So I don't know. <laughs> If I was in charge, things would be going a lot differently. And Godzuki <laughs> would your... be there, god damn it. <laughs> you put your feet up on the table yeah. and chomp on a cigar. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong coming out next year, March 2020. Nick, why don't you come back for that episode when we uh, when we do that one? I'm happy you want to see me again in nine months or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could come back before that, you never know. But uh, we're, we'll set a hard date. If you, it, Godzilla vs. Kong, you'll definitely come back for Okay, it, right? I'm writing it down. All right, cool. So it's official. Yep. <laughs> All right, cool beans. So yeah, Godzilla King of the Monsters. It's it has its moments. It does some good stuff, but overall, a little bit underwhelming. It seems like we're all in agreement on that. Uh, and now let's move on, guys, uh, because we're not even remotely done with this episode. We got a whole other half of things to get through. Uh, oh God! So, <laughs> I mean, can't wait, can't wait. Super pumped. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I think when we started, when we were talking about doing this episode, we were like, you know what? At least Godzilla will be good, so that way the Dark Phoenix <laughs> thing will <laughs> the dark, it'll balance out the Dark Phoenix thing. But now we're both just like, oof, man. This was <laughs> so many regrets, so many regrets. But yes, all right. Let's uh, let before we get into a review of uh, X Men Dark Phoenix, uh, let's get into a whole retrospective of the X Men franchise. Can we fast forward or is this live TV? 
It's time to do oh. a, a little bit of a retrospective of the X-Men franchise before we get into Dark Phoenix, our featured review of it. Uh, and, you know, a little while back, we, for our last episode of Film Bookcast, we reviewed Avengers Endgame, and we did a whole retrospective of the MCU. And that felt like a big undertaking, right, where we were talking about this whole big franchise and everything like that. Uh, X-Men, been around even longer, man. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those that's things. crazy. It's weird to think about, but the original X-Men movie came out in 2000. They've never rebooted that kind of thing. I mean, there's like soft reboots. Well, okay. Soft reboots here and there, but they're all in the same continuity. And, uh-huh. and that is a stretch of a word, considering these movies for sure. But it's, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I meant for this retrospective to be like a sort of tribute to the X-Men series of films. But uh, you know, after the box office and critical disappointment that is Dark Phoenix, uh, sort of feels more like a eulogy. <laughs> Yeah. In a weird way. Uh, which is a shame, I think, because the series has, you know, absolutely had its ups and downs and been all over the place in terms of quality. But, you know, A, there's been some really good ones uh, in the series that uh, recently feel like they've been overshadowed by the bad ones. You know, I, I feel like, you know, the over, like, it seemed like the consensus on Twitter recently uh, has been that like, these movies are bad and have always been bad. Uh, and, that's, <laughs> I, and I don't know that is the case. Uh, and B, we wouldn't have the current landscape of superhero movies without them. You know, oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so it, it, they are they are hugely influential, whether you uh, refuse to see that or not. But uh, yeah, so I mean, Nick, are, are you a fan of the X Men franchise up to this point? Um, I until I saw Apocalypse, I had only seen what people referred to as the good ones. So uh, yeah, oh really? <laughs> I was a huge X Men fan because I thought, oh, they never made a bad one. You just skip X three and Origins and. Everything right. like that, and they're all perfect. Um, sure, sure. And then I saw Apocalypse, and I realized, oh, they they do uh, they go pretty down there, don't they? Um, <laughs> they, they there's some whiffs. Yeah. There's some whiffs for sure. Yeah, I like the '90s cartoon, and I like uh, I like the actors that they keep bringing back into these movies who feel like they're way too above the pay grade. And uh, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and this this movie starts <laughs> to show that a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yes. we'll get into that. Yeah, uh, Mike. How about you? Are you have you been a fan of the X Men franchise? I mean, outside out, even outside the movies. Just I mean, ever read any comics, the cartoon, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think just kind of culturally, everyone is <laughs> to some extent at this point. But yeah, I mean, I've seen all the movies. Um, I I probably watched that X Men cartoon from the nineties. I just don't really remember. That, that ring a bell? That ring a bell? Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I've been recently hearing rumblings of them get coming back, that coming back or something like that. Um, yeah. Which, like, sure, whatever. Uh, but I, recently I got really into the uh, all-new Wolverine comic books, uh, which follows uh, Laura Kinney, right? Is her name, right. I believe? X, X-23, right? Who X-23, is, Who yes. becomes Wolverine or something in the comics, right? Yeah, Logan gets sent to the future or some weird comic book shit. Uh, right. So she takes over uh, and becomes Wolverine, like, full-time. And it's fucking great, man. I love that run. Uh, and there's now a new... She's no longer Wolverine, like, as part of the X-Men crew. She's got her own, uh, like, comic book line or a storyline or whatever going on. And I'm, I'm excited to check that out. Just kind of as a concept, the X-Men are fucking cool. Like, who who doesn't, like, meet in superheroes, right? I oh, think. yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. The X Men are great. So like, and they've been around, you know, my entire life and many years before that. Uh, recently, you know, I, I as a kid, like, I really I, I watched the cartoon for sure because it was one of those shows that like it was just on all the time. And like, it was it was the X Men animated show. There was the Batman animated series, and then there was like I think a Spider Man one that I was also a big fan of. Motherfucking Street Sharks. <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> that was my shit. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, 
but yeah, the X Men animated series was pretty awesome, and that theme song is still a banger. Um, but <laughs> but uh, you know, as far as comics go, you know, I um, I recently have been going through like the entire '60s period of the Marvel comics. Uh, that were a lot of them were written by Stan Lee, some of them were written by Roy Thomas, and so I've been reading the old '60s X Men comics. Uh, which are solid, like they're they're a foundation for what the for what they would eventually be, but they're definitely not where they were, um, you know. And like this, they really became what they are in the seventies and eighties when when Chris Claremont was writing them. Um, but I, I haven't really read that whole like a lot of that stuff. I'm going to get to that whenever I get to that in my Marvel. Uh, <laughs> whenever I get that in like sixteen years, when I finally get to 1965 <laughs> in, in the com in the Marvel Unlimited library, but. Uh, but uh, as far as comics goes, I was a huge fan of uh, Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men, which was kind of, I think, a big jumping-in point for a lot of people, uh, too. And that's a, that's a really good one. Actually, a lot of that was the basis for uh, what X-Men 3 eventually became. Um, really? Because a, a lot of that run has to deal with like, the, the mutant cure and that kind of thing, which X-Men 3 is about. Um, but the movies have been like my primary X-Men experience for most of my life. I mean, the first movie came out in 2000, uh, when I was seven years old. Uh, and again, we weren't really getting a lot of superhero movies back then. The X-Men was kind of the movie that like was a pretty good hit and it kind of showed people like, Oh, we can make movies out of these now. And then Nick, you were mentioning Spider-Man before, uh, two years later, Spider-Man came out and really kind of showed the other side of what these movies can be too. And then suddenly you get a lot of other superhero movies coming through the two thousands and a lot of them were terrible. Uh, (laughs) in the two thousands, it was basically like, if it wasn't X-Men or Spider-Man, like most of those superhero movies were pretty bad. (laughs) Um, you know, there's the Angley Hulk, and there's Daredevil, and Elektra, and the Fantastic Four movies, and Ghost Rider, which, you know, I'll defend, but still. Uh, <laughs> you know, but X-Men was released in 2000, and I think the thing that has defined this franchise for a lot of people is that it played it pretty safe with the comic book stuff. Uh, like, it was recognizably the characters you knew, like Wolverine and Cyclops and that kind of thing. Uh, but it was a much more grounded take than you were going to see in the cartoon or in the comic books and that kind of thing. And they even have like, a line in the first movie where it's like, what did you expect, yellow jumpsuits? Uh, right. <laughs> and that kind of thing. As if, like, you know, that stuff is silly and we're not doing that. Uh, and people knock that now. And I get that because, you know, considering, like, you know, like Avengers Endgame just came out, right? And it's like this big, massive comic book thing with a time heist and, you know, th- <laughs> like, intergalactic aliens and dimensions and all these crazy things. Um, but, like, if Avengers Endgame came out in the year 2000, it would have bombed. Like, it would, it would have 100%. Like, there's no way it would be the second biggest movie of all time, you know? It's, <laughs> it's yeah. one of those things. It would have bombed hard. Audiences were not ready for that kind of thing, I don't think. Uh, like, even the MCU started off relatively grounded before gradually getting bigger and weirder as time went on. Um, but so the one-two punch of X-Men and Spider-Man, like, really opened the floodgates for those superhero movies that followed. And, you know, if you asked me, like, ten years ago, like, what were the best superhero movies of all time? Obviously, Spider-Man 2, top of the list. Um, that doesn't change. That doesn't change. That's that's forever. But uh, but X2 would have absolutely been on that list. If you, like, X2, X-Men United, which, like, like in 2009, that was, like, a consensus pick for, like, one of the greatest superhero movies ever. And now, ten years later, like, nobody ever mentions it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, because we've seen so many other superhero movies and go, go so much further into comic book kind of stuff. Uh, X2 and the original X-Men, they feel quaint now in comparison in a weird way. It's It's been probably a large number of years, 10 years maybe, since I've seen the X-Men movies, uh, honestly. Like the so originals? I, yeah, yeah, sorry, the first, yeah, first three. What was the uh, what was the first X-Men movie you guys ever saw? X-Men. Yeah, I definitely saw saw X-Men. Yeah, okay. yeah. I feel like it'd be okay, crazy to somehow start somewhere else. Um, X-Men Origins. Yeah. <laughs> I was told this was an origin story. Yeah. <laughs> I figured this might be the place to start. 
no, my my first one was actually X Men Three. X Men: The Last. Oh, Day. you poor soul! Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't believe you stuck around. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, that was the one. Uh, I actually went to that with uh, with our friend Kyle, who's just on the episode uh, that we did a couple weeks ago for John Wick Three, and we went, and I enjoyed it a lot back then. I mean, I was. 13 at the time so you know it's whatever but uh i, I enjoyed that movie a lot back then and then i, I actually own it on dvd for some reason i have it here in Missoula <laughs> with me um it's, it's i only the only x-men movies i own are that and logan those are the only two <laughs> i don't i don't know why but x-men 3 you know it's a weird one i people shit on that movie a lot and it, it deserves it in a lot of respects but i think it's a it's like half a good movie there's like half a good movie in there i think the stuff that's actually the mutant cure and that kind of thing there's solid stuff in there i think it's a solid dumb action movie and that might just be colored by that my experience of that being my first X-Men movie and seeing it in a packed theater. Like, it was a completely sold-out theater when I saw X-Men 3. Uh, and the audience, like, applauded at a bunch of different points, even, like, the point where it's like, I'm the juggernaut, bitch! And I was just going to put that out, actually. <laughs> Uproarious applause in my theater when, <laughs> when that happened. And it's the dumbest moment. It's so stupid. I think that's, like, the first movie moment for me, like, that I remember, like, being a part of, where it's, like, the cultural meme joke became part of the movie joke, yes. you know? <laughs> yeah. Because um, that was, like, a YouTube video where they just dubbed right. over... All the, an old X-Men cartoon with on the juggernaut bitch and like all that stuff and it got it made it into the fucking movie which is yeah. bizarre <laughs> uh, yeah it was very very weird but then after X-Men 3 I, I, I went back and watched X-Men 1 and 2 I think on cable probably probably on like TNT or something and much like Nick just watched Spider-Man on TBS people still do that these days mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know why but we do <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I watched X-Men 1 and 2 like, very quickly after that because I was into it. And, you know, I was into superheroes and stuff like that at the time. Uh, and for whatever reason, I think the reason I didn't see X-Men when it came out, because I was seven, uh, is because they looked like, 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 they were superhero movies, but they were superhero movies that were kind of geared towards an older audience. Like, they weren't courting the uh, the kids who were watching the X-Men cartoon at the time, you know what I mean? They weren't in the yellow jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. They weren't in the yellow jumpsuits, yeah. If they were, I probably would have seen the movie back at the day. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do really enjoy that original X-Men trilogy, and then they kind of went on, like, X-Men Origins Wolverine came out in 2009, and I don't know if you guys have any associated memories with that movie, but I do, because I almost died the night I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, that bad, huh? <laughs> Go yeah. on. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, I saw that, I was 16 when X-Men Origins Wolverine came out. I saw that at the, uh, the Fishkill Theater in, uh, in Fishkill, New York, which, you know, was kind of like the theater that was, uh, me and my friends would go to because it was very easy access, and, you know, it was one of those things where, like, we went, it was opening night, it was May 2009, opening, like, first weekend of May, uh, and after the movie, like, we all agreed it was terrible. It was one of the worst, like, it, X-Men Origins Wolverine, I think, is, like, the worst X-Men movie by far. It is so bad. And then anyway, after the movie came, after the movie, we all like went across the street to Walmart because we were just like sixteen-year-old punks and hanging out, and like like we had nowhere to go, we couldn't go into bars or anything, so we <laughs> so we went to, so we went to Walmart and we were in the parking lot and we end, we ended up running into another group of friends who also saw X Men Origins Wolverine. That we started goofing around in the parking lot, and then me and my friend Steve uh, got into uh, shopping carts and raced each other in the parking lot. <laughs> oh no! Uh, and. Like I think it was my friend Aaron or something who was pushing Steve, and then some kid that I did not know was pushing me. Uh, for and uh, for some reason I let this happen. I was sixteen and I was dumb. Uh, and uh, anyway, at, at one point this kid let go of the shopping cart, uh, and a car that was like <laughs> driving oh, through no. like nearly hit me. It like, stopped short, like at, like right in front of the shopping cart, like as I was going. It was. It was terrifying. I almost died that night, or at least I thought. <laughs> I think about that, and I remember thinking like afterwards, like man. I almost died, and the last movie I would have watched <laughs> would would have been X Men Origins Wolverine, and just having like that kind of moment where I was like, "Yeesh, man, 
dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For more reasons than one. But uh, yeah, that's my X-Men Origins Wolverine story. Um, but do you guys have any like memories associated with the X-Men movies by, by any chance? Maybe not necessarily that uh, life-threatening. But <laughs> I feel like nothing can really top that, so uh, I don't even know if it's worth it. But yeah, I, I know I saw the original X-Men. If it wasn't in theaters, it was probably the day it got to uh, Video Source in Hopewell. So like as it, it was I was very yeah. excited for it, pumped. I uh, watched it once in 2000 and then didn't watch it again until right before Logan. So uh <laughs> I I aside from the third act that movie holds up pretty well. It's just a lot of the CG that they relied so heavily on just kind of looks bad. Goofy. Um, yeah. And also like it's a big climactic thing that kind of ends in a gift shop fight, which isn't fun. Um, but yeah, uh, X2 I have not seen since it came out, um, but you've made me feel like I want to watch it again, so we'll see. I guess, um, that's one I have not seen in a very long time, but it is one that I held in very high esteem, and I think a lot of people did. And, I, and then it is still, like I think, like one of the best action movies out there. Okay. Like, even if I haven't seen it in a while, like just thinking back on it, like it just seems like it would still be up there for me. Okay. Uh, and X-Men 3 came on, on TNT once. <laughs> At my grandparents' house at the exact moment <laughs> that you were just talking about where he screams, I'm the juggernaut bitch. And my mom made us change the channel. So thankfully, I have never seen the rest of X-Men The Last Stand. <laughs> wow. So you've only seen that moment of X-Men yep. <laughs> uh, And then I, I watched First Class and Days of Future Past in one sitting right before I saw Logan. And that's, that's, my, uh, that's my experience with the X-Men, generally. And I saw Apocalypse in a double feature with Neighbors 2, so if you ever want to see Rose Byrne in two very different roles, uh, that's, a, that's a good feature for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm glad you were able to see Neighbors 2, because that's a pretty good yeah. one, too. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think uh, with the X-Men movies, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, as, as basically, from X-Men 3 on, I've seen all of them in theaters. And, you know, they, they've gone up and down in quality, but I think the X-Men movies did a really interesting thing with the with First Class, where they kind of, you know, they did the prequel, they kind of, it's like a soft reboot of the series in a weird way, it kind of relaunches it and like recontextualizes it, so it's a new cast, new blood, and all that kind of stuff, and by doing that, it like, you know, set them up to be a pretty good competition for the MCU going forward. That movie came out in the same year as Thor and Captain America 1. Uh, so like, the MCU wow. was not the juggernaut that it is today, but it was still, it was getting there. Like the Avengers was going to come out the next year, uh, and First Class put itself in like that position where it's like, okay, now we have this like fresh new cast, we can do some really cool adventures with these guys, uh, and then they didn't do that. Like they, <laughs> they they did First Class, and then they did Days of Future Past, and I like Days of Future Past a lot. I think that is a very good movie. It should have been the last X Men movie. That's yeah. <laughs> you know, I've what I been mean? saying that on 100%. repeat since it came out. Like, why? Why they did they bother making it if it wasn't meant to be the last one? Because yeah, they they sh- what they should have done is made like a trilogy of movies that took place in the '60s with the first class cast, and then made Days of Future Past. Instead, they did this stupid thing where they <laughs> jumped ten years in between each of these prequel movies uh, and made Days of Future Past the second one. Uh, so it feels like this conclusive thing that ties together both of the um, cast. And the reason they did it is because the Avengers had just been, had just been a huge hit, right? That, I mean, that's right. basically the entire reason they did it. it. You know, it's one of those things where it's like they look at the Avengers and being like, okay, that was a massive superhero crossover event. How can we do a version of that? And Days of Future Past was their answer for that. And they did a pretty good job with it. I like that movie a lot, again. But, you know, after that, there was nowhere for the franchise to go. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, after that, there was Logan. And Logan was awesome. Uh, and then... Otherwise, like, you have Apocalypse and you have Dark Phoenix, and the reason those movies aren't very good is because 
there was nowhere that like, you couldn't do anything with them after Days of Future Past. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen Days of Future Past, even. And I think that's the. You're saying that because it, it has the part in the future, right? Where it's the original cast back? Is that uh, what you're saying? Like, yeah, this should well, have been the last movie? Yeah, well, it's the original cast. It's, there's the original cast in the future. Hugh Jackman's kind of the connecting tissue between both of them. Right. Uh, but also, there's sequences where, like, you know, it shows, like, Patrick Stewart kind of merging with the mind of James McAvoy in that movie and that kind of oh, thing and yeah. that, that kind of thing there's a hell sequence uh, there's, there's a lot of like you know tying together of the two different timelines in that movie uh, and it's some really interesting stuff that goes on in that movie but yeah uh, we and saw then the Jean Grey's alive back, back right? yeah Jean, Jean Grey comes back to life at yeah. the end of that movie yes I, uh, I, yeah, what's the point of, they, they go through so many yeah. pains to fix everything that previous movies had done wrong and make it end in such a perfect way and then they're just like but yes. Five more movies, right? <laughs> right? Five more movies? But there's yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I have long given up trying to make sense of the timeline of the X-Men movies because it does not make sense at all. It did, once Days of Future Past happened, once Days of Future Past mm-hmm. happened, it's like, all right, it all came together. They, they fixed it. There's no more timeline, wibbly-wobbly nonsense. It's actually amazing that, like, a movie centered around time travel was able to do that because that's very difficult to do. Even, like, Avengers Endgame has, like, questions where I'm like, but how did that work? Or, like, how did, like there's, you know, complicated stuff happening there. Days of Future Past did a pretty good job, like you know, simplifying everything and like turn, like fixing everything without like feeling cheap about it. And then Apocalypse comes out, and it's like it just fucks it all over. Again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but honestly, I think, I think the biggest mistake the series made, uh, and I think the thing that really hurt the franchise in a permanent way going forward, is that Brian Singer ended up coming back uh, to the franchise. Right? I mean, he made the first two, and not even getting into his personal life and personal dealings, which are bad. Uh, <laughs> you know, he did the first two and they were well received, right? And then he left to go make Superman Returns. Uh, and I wanted the series to go in a fresh direction after that point. And Matthew Vaughn ended up doing First Class and that was pretty awesome. Uh, and then he left First Class because he was going to go make Kingsman. And, you know, that worked out. Kingsman's awesome. Right. He's okay. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I wasn't going to complain at that point that the guy who made the first two was going to come back, right? It was one of those things where it's like, oh, well, you know. I wanted to see Guillermo del Toro's version of The Hobbit, but Peter Jackson made The Lord of the Rings, so, like, you know, it's... <laughs> what could go I, wrong? What could go wrong, right? And again, Brian Singer made Days of Future Past. Days of Future Past, very good. And then Apocalypse comes out, and it's like, all right, we are out of ideas <laughs> for this series. And I think the reason Days of Future Past happened when it did, A, it's because it's, it's in response to the Avengers. B, it's because Brian Singer directed it, and he wanted to give, like, one big send-off to the cast that he was dedicated to originally, right? If you watch right. Days of Future Past, it kind of dis- does disservice to some of the characters from First Class because he's really focusing on the characters that he directed originally speaking. Uh, and then Apocalypse comes out, and it's clear that Brian Singer doesn't care about any of these new characters, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's clear that none of the actors really want to be there at that point. And it's, like, and then it's, fo- it's, kind of, it's trying to shove in, like, eight different new characters uh, which are younger versions of the characters that were already in the other movies, but they're treating them as minor characters in this movie, and so it's a weird case where it's like, Apocalypse feels like season one of a TV series kind of compressed into, like, one movie, and then Dark Phoenix feels like season five of that same TV series, where it's focusing on those those characters that were barely introduced in Apocalypse, and they're the main characters now, and you just kind of have to catch up <laughs> and hope that you care about them, but you don't, because you didn't see the in-between three seasons... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, why, what even is this happening? Is well, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, <laughs> that incoherent sentence is equivalent uh, of to, where this to what your review of Dark Phoenix is going to be. <laughs> it, yes, correct. It's Dark Phoenix, is what yeah. I'm saying. Well, the, the thing about Dark Phoenix and what's weird about it, I, it, it, like, look, looking at, like, it seems like there were warning signs for Dark Phoenix 
so many times over the last like three years as they were making this movie. <laughs> every time it got delayed. Yeah. Well, yeah, every time it got delayed, which was a big deal. But also, just even from the outset, when they decided, you know what, we're going to do Dark Phoenix again. And it's like, you know what, that was the plot of X-Men 3, and nobody likes X-Men 3. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work that time. And now you're going to do it with characters that we know even less than we did in X-Men 3. Because the thing about Dark Phoenix in the comics... Uh, and again, I, I have not read most of Chris Claremont's run in the comics, uh, so I can't really speak from experience here, but it seems like the way that story works is that it don't, the only reason it does is because it's built up over years and years of comics. That's like, you know, the, the Dark Phoenix story takes about a year, uh, it's like ten issues long or whatever, which is about a year's worth in comic time. Um, but, like, it's built up to over the course of, like, five or six years, something like that. Like, it, you know, everything with Jean Grey and all that stuff, it's all, like, subtle and things like that building up over time and you get to know the character relationships and things like that and how things work uh and these and movies can't really do that it's just not something that movies are easily able to do it's something you need in the tv series or if you're going to do it in visual media uh or trailer like the mcu and build it up over a very very long period of time that would be like your end game story you know what i mean right um but the way these movies have worked it's you know x-men 3 does dark phoenix and the way that works is like you know you have the first two x-men movies there's a little bit of hints at dark phoenix at the end of x-men 2 and then you do Dark Phoenix and X-Men 3, and it's like, it just feels very rushed. This movie is even worse because, and I, we haven't even gotten to the review yet, but in, in, in Apocalypse, you know, you're introduced to Jean Grey, you're introduced to Cyclops, you're introduced to these characters, and they're all, like, the B-plot of that movie, you know? And they're all, like, they all maybe have, like, 20 lines of dialogue each, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, that, that movie is mostly focused on Xavier and Magneto and Mystique because, all like, most of these movies have been. Uh, for the new cast, uh, and they shouldn't have been. They, they they shouldn't be. Like at this point, you know, like first first class, absolutely. Xavier, Magneto, Mystique, M- Mystique's iffy. Like I don't know why Mystique has been such a big part of these movies, other than the fact that Jennifer Lawrence is a big star. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. you got it. Yeah, but like, but like that, that's a weird one because like even in first class, Mystique isn't that big of a role, and they kind of do something. It's sort of interesting with her where she's like kind of Charles's adopted sister and that kind of thing. Uh, and then, like, in between First Class and Days of Future Past, The Hunger Games came out, and Jennifer Lawrence, like, skyrocketed to fame, and they were like, yo, we gotta put Jennifer Lawrence in everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so even, like, and so she's, like, the linchpin character of Days of Future Past, and then in Apocalypse, she's in, like, every scene, and even by, even by Days of Future Past, you can tell Jennifer Lawrence is just, like, done. <laughs> like, she's, yeah. she's over these movies, and, it, like, she's kind of, like, fulfilling a contractual obligation. And then even by Dark Phoenix, like, the makeup even is, like, just not even there anymore. It's, like, it's one quick coating of light blue paint, and then that's, like, it. That's uh, good enough. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But so, but so, you know, going from Apocalypse, where these characters were just introduced straight into Dark Phoenix, it just feels like it's an even more rushed version of the Dark Phoenix story, which sounds ridiculous. And it's, I think, reflected in the box office. People just don't care about this movie that much anymore. It also feels like an afterthought, because, you know, now Disney owns Fox... And they're kind of just putting this movie out as a burner. Like the, the, the movie, the movie already exists. They have to put it out in some capacity, but it just it just feels like they're putting it out as like because they have to almost, not because they actually really care about it that much. Because they don't. They don't. They're, they're going to give X Men to Marvel, and then Marvel will probably wait a few years and then just do their own version of the X Men. Uh, so Dark Phoenix is the final version of this X Men universe, and it's just it's sad that like this franchise that has been so influential in terms of superhero filmmaking and in terms of like you know how we got to this point in superhero movies like it just feels like it's it's so weird that like this is the ending that this franchise has to go with when we just got a really good ending with endgame you know like like yeah a month and a half ago yeah it's kind of weird for the movie the franchise that kind of started it 
all to just kind of peter out and like, oh, yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, I was going to say, it had the worst opening weekend for uh, any X-Men movie. Good. Uh, wow. 30, <laughs> $33 million opening weekend, Damn. which for a superhero movie in 2019 is abysmal. Uh, With all the reshoots, how <laughs> um, much did it even cost to make this movie? I have no idea, but yes, it was a heavily yeah. reshot movie. Uh, and yeah, so I think the uh, the previous lowest grossing one, opening weekend was the original X Men, which had like a fifty five million dollar opening weekend or something like that, which was in two thousand yeah. dollars. So like, right. <laughs> so like twenty years later, this movie made twenty million dollars less than the original X Men movie, which is pathetic. Yeah. It's bad. It, it it didn't even open to number one. It opened to number two. Uh, you know, uh, behind the sequel Life of Pets two, which was the opening weekend. Well, that that was, was the sequel we were all waiting for. Right, that's the movie we should be reviewing today. You're right. Uh, Do do you think we'll ever get new mutants? No. uh, Suppose no. Uh, The the new release date is April 2020. Uh, We'll see what happens. (laughs) It's going to be like monster trucks. I don't know if that sentence is gibberish, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I remember. I remember the movie Monster Trucks came out in like a January year uh, or January. Paramount made this movie Monster Trucks based on like some producer's child's idea, and they put so much money in it. Somehow it costs like 150 million dollars for this monster truck movie and then they just eventually put it out in the middle of January and it made like maybe a million dollars and like I feel like that's exactly what's gonna happen with New Mutants is they're just gonna they're gonna (laughs) throw it in the fuck you it's January thing and they're yeah I don't I don't even think that's gonna I think they're gonna dump it on Hulu or something like it's it's gonna be like you know make it like a streaming service exclusive so to like drive subscribers or whatever but it's not even gonna do that it's just gonna be like all right, now you can watch New Mutants if you want I'll watch it when it comes out like I I am very fascinated by the disaster yeah. that movie seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I really want to see that movie now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, because I'll, I can't, I want to see it. Exactly. It's, and it's going to be like, now like Dark Phoenix and New Mutants are like these weird like holdover movies in the in the middle yeah. of this Disney-Fox merger where they're like, you know, Fox was making this movie and like all this money was put behind it and then they just kind of get dumped into theaters or dumped on a streaming service somewhere because Disney bought Fox. And so, yeah, it, it's like the last vestiges of this X-Men franchise just kind of petering out there into the world. Uh, and, I, and I was very fascinated by New Mutants. They, like, the trailer for that movie came out in 2017. Uh, Holy shit. Like, that trailer is still available on YouTube, by the way. I'm um, just <laughs> throwing it out there. Because I remember watching that trailer and being like, you know what, this looks pretty interesting. Like, I, I was into yeah. the trailer for New Mutants. And then, like, six weeks before it was supposed to come out, it got delayed. Like, six months or something. And then it got delayed again. And then it got delayed again. It's, I mean, it was supposed to come out in April 2018. <clears throat> and it's not coming out until April 2020 now, two years later. <laughs> it's Theoretically. 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 We will see what happens. But, yeah, New Mutants... I I don't even know what that is. So I guess I, that technically will be the last X Men movie, right? But this, but this is the last like main franchise thing. And the weird thing is, like this movie was not originally designed to be an ending. It was gonna there was gonna be more. There, I'm sure there's gonna be more X Men movies after this. Maybe not with McAvoy and Fassbender and Lawrence, but yeah. certainly I'm sure Fox wanted to keep making X Men movies. Well, it felt uh, like the whole reason or, they brought in a brand new cast of Apocalypse was so that way they could push their way into this new first class or whatever. But then, yeah, they they totally squandered that by having almost no introduction of the characters and then throwing them into this movie like you're supposed to give a shit. And then, yeah, skipping to Dark Phoenix, which, again, it's like like, like Days of Future Past. It's that story that should be the finale of this this franchise. You know? So it's just, it's very, very weird. It's, it's... The X Men movies, I feel like, has been it's been a very mismanaged franchise for its entire run, almost. Um, but like, it's a miracle that we got the good movies that we did. We got Logan, and Logan was awesome. It was yeah. so good, uh, and I like the Wolverine a lot too. The Wolverine's a really good movie too. Um, I actually, I, I have seen the Wolverine, but I didn't see it f- the first time I saw it. 
was actually at a bar that was had I think TNT or TBS or some like it was on after a basketball game or something. This, this is a recurring yeah. theme going on in this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it, like I was at the bar with my friends and I was like, "Is this is this the the, wolf, the samurai one? I don't think I've seen this one or the ninja one. I guess." Yeah, I was like, "I don't think I've seen this one." And I was like, "All right, friend, yeah, I'll see you guys later." <laughs> like I just watched it with subtitles like, <laughs> while my friends were hanging out, and then I got home and was like, "I gotta go watch this movie for real. This is amazing." <laughs> Yeah, it's a movie, great. a movie that's so good it caused you to ditch your friends in the bar. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. It's pretty I mean, high that, praise if you yeah. think about it. Yeah, yeah. The stuff that James Mangold did with those two Wolverine movies is really good. And, I mean, of course, the Deadpool movie is also part of the X-Men franchise in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, like, they're barely connected to it. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where, like, X-Men Origins had Deadpool in it. And, you know, right, we don't talk yeah. about that movie. It's, it's <laughs> and in, We don't talk about Deadpool. In, in Deadpool 2, there's that one quick scene where every single person from... Dark Phoenix is just sitting in the side room where they pan and then close yes. the door. So, like, does that mean... What does that mean? Because, like, they're all still, like, the 30-something-year-old versions of them. So, like, From yeah, what timeline are we following? <laughs> right. Is there uh, a timeline? Well, I think it's, yeah. been clear, it's been clearly established that these characters do not age, yeah. Nick. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. one of those things. The first class movie took place in the 60s. Yeah. This movie takes place in the 90s. Uh, Patrick Stewart uh, is eight years around the corner. Like it's <laughs> like James, right. James McAvoy should turn into Patrick Stewart in eight. But years. But they made him bald. In, yeah, right. So that's, that's yeah, that's but, all you had to do. So there's that. But also Michael Fassbender should be turning into Ian McKellen, and that's. <laughs> yeah, I have I have that dreams about that frequently, soon. but uh, it won't seem to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a different yeah. podcast. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Uh, do you guys have a favorite X Men movie? Uh, Logan. I mean, it's kind I, of. I, yeah, mine, the one maybe. Mine's also worst. Logan. I'm going to go yeah. Days of Future Past, uh, mostly because, okay, every part of the production of Logan and just everything that went into it made me think, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. So it met the expectations that I had. Whereas Days of Future Past seems like a horrible idea, where it's like, oh, we're just going to go back and fix everything using time travel. But it right. turns out being a really, really good, compelling movie, and like, as opposed to having like beam fights or everything, which are all over the place in like <laughs> 2012 through 2017 or whatever, it just yes. it's kind of just people talking in a circle. And as as we yeah. learn basically from every time I've, I, I think I said this also in the Glass review, where my perfect superhero movie is just people sitting in a room for two and a half hours just talking stuff out. Maybe someone gets hit <laughs> once. Like it's. It's it's too much, um, but yeah, I, I think Days of Future Past is just it's an accomplishment, which is why like Logan had everything going for it. I feel like with the R rating, James Mangold, who's just amazing, and just the fact that they could do that old man Logan story, which is just almost guaranteed gold. Maybe that's a weird justification for it, um, but yeah, I still I it's neck and neck. But I just. So that way we're not talking about Logan, all three of us. There we go. There's Days of Future Past. <laughs> you like an underdog yeah, story. that's exactly what yeah, I'm there no, for. Yeah, um, And Days of Future Past is a very good one. And, yeah, I mean, I, I would go with Logan. Just, again, kind of the reason you said James Mangold, you know, like Hugh Jackman's last role, and they really went for it in that one, and it just feels like a bigger deal uh, in a certain respect. But uh, Matt Singer re- recently had a really good uh, article on Screen Crush, uh, which was uh, the correct way to watch the X-Men movies. And um, basically, it's like a, a like sort of like the machete cut for Star Wars, where it's like you know you mm-hmm. watch episodes four and five, and then you flash back to one, two, three, six, kind of thing. Uh, this is like a machete cut for the Star Wars or for the X Men movies. I mean, so it's uh, it cuts out X Men Origins Wolverine, uh, Apocalypse, and Dark Phoenix. Like those movies are completely cut from the record. Good. Uh, and then you watch first class. You watch first class first. Okay. You watch that movie first, and then you watch the original trilogy back to back, like one, two, three. 
Then you watch The Wolverine, because that deals with uh, the ending of X-Men 3. Uh, and then you watch Days of Future Past. So it's a cool thing where you kind of like go back to like the original, like the first X-Men movie. First class, right? In, in this order. Uh, right. But you're also showing the characters that you have been dealing with this entire time. Uh, and then you end things with Logan as like an epilogue, sort of. So Days of Future Past feels like the finale, and then Logan is like the epilogue to the whole franchise. Uh, and that Whoa. to me is like that. That makes this an incredible series yeah. of movies. Like that. Like just that seven like movie span. If you cut out all the bullshit, like that's that's a really good stretch of movies because you, like X Men Origins, Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, they add nothing to the overall X Men story. You could cut them easily and not lose anything. Uh, and the only things you would be losing out of that is the Deadpool movies, yeah. which you know I like those movies too, but they're operating on their own weird level, so you don't really need to consider them part of the X Men canon in a weird way, yeah. right? Right. Uh, plus, plus, if you cut out X Men Origins Wolverine, you're gonna lo- you're gonna lose like 25 percent of the jokes in Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so there's that. Your justification was the movies are good if you get rid of the bad ones. So I don't really know if that really stands on its own. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm saying there's more good movies in the series than there are yeah. bad ones. Like if you if you do that watch order, the worst one there is X Men Three, and even that has its moments. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I, I it's just I wish there was just some middle ground where it seems like they're all really good or just horrid. And there's just why can't there just be one that's like a solid five that just slides its way One right that's through. like pretty yeah, good. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's definitely some that are pretty good. I think the original X Men's like a pretty good one, you know. I think uh the Deadpools are pretty good. Uh in my eyes anyway. And, you know. Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of really good ones and there's some bad ones too. And but you know, a franchise has been, that has been around this this long, almost twenty years. Like that's, yeah, I think it's a, it's batting average is better than you would expect it yeah. to be. You know, so yeah, that is a. I think that's our retrospective of the X Men movies. Uh, overall, we enjoyed them, right? That's so, fair. Uh, <laughs> so so now let's tear into Dark Phoenix, <laughs> <laughs> starting right now. Why did you make me do that? Look at me. Focus on my voice. I'm not giving up on you, Jean. She was my friend. You're my family, Jean. Stop. No matter what. Stop. 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 Look. You're special, Jean. And if you stop fighting that force inside you, if you embrace it, he will possess the very power of a god. All right, that was from the trailer for Dark Phoenix, the new movie uh, written and directed by Simon Kinberg. Uh, it stars James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, Sophie Turner, Ty Sheridan, Alexander Shipp, Evan Peters, Cody Smith-McPhee, and Jessica Chastain, among others. And the IMDb plot synopsis for Dark Phoenix reads, Jean Grey begins to develop incredible powers that corrupt and turn her into a Dark Phoenix. <laughs> now the X-Men will have to decide if the life of a team member is worth more than all the people living in the world. <laughs> that, that, that can't be what it says. That is exactly 100% what it says. And I think that cuts to the main problem. To me. <laughs> Which is like, obviously all the people living in the world is more important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Dark Phoenix. It's bad. Guys, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I kind of wish they would just make movies about what Michael Fassbender's doing in the background, because he went to, he almost killed JFK, and then he had his whole family thing, and then in this one he's just on an island, and it's like, why aren't they doing that? Like, why why am I watching this (laughs) bullshit? I don't care about the school, I don't care about these teenagers, but yeah, it's it's such a nothing movie, 
I, I don't know how it was so short but long and very in-depth, <laughs> but also nothing really transpired. So, like, and uh, back to what I was saying about Godzilla earlier. If you don't have the story, the action scenes are kind of pointless. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this movie that I'm just bored of. So I that's, yeah, movie's boring. <laughs> right. And Mike, what's your take? Um, same. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Why, why does this movie, I mean, I get why it exists. And I like, it's a shame that this happened. Yeah. <laughs> this movie exists. Because <laughs> clearly none of the actors give a shit. No, nobody involved in the production at this point, like, cared. This movie got delayed. Was it, I think this was only delayed once or twice. Uh, I think this was delayed twice. Uh, it, it was supposed to come out in 2018, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then it was actually, I think it was scheduled to come out in February of this year, and then it was delayed again. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, what's the point of this? No, every, as soon as it got delayed the first time, everyone was like, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's weird that they, they're, we're doing it again. Here we go. Dark Phoenix. We're going to try a second time. And it's the same screenwriter, I think. Yeah. One so, of the so, same si- Simon Kinberg was the co-writer of X-Men 3, and he's the writer and director of this movie. Uh, Why, wh- whose fucking idea was that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that got it wrong. Yeah, go ahead. Try again. <laughs> Give it another shot, but make it worse this yeah. time, right? Yeah, make uh, it cost more and make it worse. <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if it actually cost more, but uh, it probably did. I mean, probably you know, twenty nineteen dollars and everything. But uh, yeah, I, Dark Phoenix is just a a completely unremarkable movie in every way. <laughs> like it's yeah, you know, and it's not even like at least Apocalypse was like laughable, you know, at times. Right? Yeah. But there's there's stuff in Apocalypse that is like genuinely very funny. Like you know. That's a movie that had the decency to make Oscar Isaac unrecognizable and dilate his voice, so it's just ridiculous, you yeah, know. Put uh, put put Olivia Munn in a bathing suit. At oh Auschwitz. my god! Right, yeah. good <laughs> call. Absolutely yeah, insane things. Remember the opening credits of Apocalypse, where it's like showing the entire history of man, and it jumps right from like Renaissance to Nazis, and it's. Like <laughs> Do you remember that at all? <laughs> no, but it's, it sounds right. It's ridiculous. It's nuts. Uh, and Dark Phoenix is not that. It's not even laughable in the way that Apocalypse was. It's just boring. And it seems like, you know, Dark Phoenix is this, like, big cosmic story in the Marvel comics. And they, I, I was reading an interview with Simon Kinberg about his take on this movie. And it's like, yeah, I wanted to do, like, a really grounded take on it in the same vein as Logan. And I was like, that's not what this movie should have been. Like, just 100%. There's no reason for this movie to have been that, you know? Uh, Did he see I, Logan? I the reason... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, also a good point. Yeah, it's you know that's that, that one, that's the kind of thing that works for Logan. Doesn't really work for this. But yeah, you're you're right. Like nobody involved wants to be here. Even Fassbender, who you know has been consistently great, like throughout yeah. his run as Magneto, right? And even in Apocalypse, I think Fassbender's given like an incredible performance in that movie. He's great. His few moments in this movie, where I was like, man, what are you like? Come on. <laughs> It's it's ironic that Magneto's plotline is that he doesn't want to get involved. <laughs> he, he, he has one line in the movie, talking to Xavier, where he's like, there's always an yeah. apology, Charles, and there's always a speech, and no one cares. And I was like, I felt that so hard yeah. in this movie, where I was like, yes, he's right. There is always an apology from Charles. There is always a speech. I don't care anymore. Let's just end this movie. Let's end this franchise. It, like, my prevailing sense, once the movie was over, I was like, huh, well... At least Marvel's getting these in a few years. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's just one of those things. Where it's like, ugh, man, it's it's weird. And it, and it really does seem to want to have it both ways with its characters, too. Like, the ones we have a connection to are the first-class ones, right? The ones that have been around for four movies now with Xavier and Magneto and Mystique and Beast. 
uh, but they don't really do anything during the movie. You know, they're not, like, doing things at all. And instead, all the plot stuff is happening with the new characters who, again, were just introduced in Apocalypse, each of whom had, like, 20 lines of dialogue at most that entire movie. Uh, that, that's even being generous for a couple of them. Storm, I remember in that movie, had no lines of, like, I think she had, like, she was brainwashed most of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so she had, like, two lines of dialogue. And then in this movie, she also has, like, two lines of dialogue. Um, but it's, you know. Uh, so if you're frustrated, so you're frustrated with all the stuff because you don't care about any of those characters and you're frustrated with the other half of the movie because the characters you do care about aren't doing anything. They don't have any impact on anything happening in the movie. Yeah, uh, there is a, there's a moment where between uh, Mystique and Beast where he's like, wow, last of the first class. Yeah. And I was like, wait. <laughs> I, I, I have forgotten by this point who is in which movie. And I was like, wait, it hasn't been the same exact cast for the last, since first class. <laughs> like, I don't remember when these people became, because nobody ages. Everyone's 32. Right. Like, everybody, even the quote-unquote children. Uh, right. It's like, like, it's very weird. There's no sense of anything in this movie. Yeah, it's it's very strange. And yeah, even the children, like Jean Grey and Cyclops and stuff, they were supposed to be like teenagers when Apocalypse came out. So they should be in like their late 20s at this point, which I guess the actors are, so it like sort of works, but they look exactly the same as they did in Apocalypse. Like, it's not like... Yeah, but so are the actors that are playing the old people. <laughs> right, yeah. Ex- I mean, yeah, McAvoy and Fassbender are playing like 60-year-olds at this point. <laughs> it's, yes. It's, yeah, it's it's very weird. And like, you can get away with that with Mystique, because like Mystique changes her appearance, and it's fine. Yeah, sure. Uh, she changes her appearance for the much worse in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, ma- the makeup is so like I saw a comparison of like the, the Jennifer Lawrence Mystique makeup across the movies and like it looks fine up through Apocalypse uh, but even in Apocalypse I remember like um, there's a lot of scenes where she's not in makeup because like I, it yeah. was, she didn't want to be doing these movies anymore so it's like if I'm going to do this like I'm going to do like one scene in the Mystique makeup and then I'm done <laughs> and, right. and in this one it's like alright you're doing a once over <laughs> very light blue and then we're only doing like my face we're not doing anything else in the body <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to be in a full body, like a full like jumpsuit the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. I do remember from first class, it looked incredible. Yeah, I mean, the Mystique makeup looked good for yeah. the other three movies. And for the Rebecca Romain ones in the original trilogy, like, it yeah. looks good. Just here, it just looks oof. Well, it, it's, it's, it's not that like, the procedure got any worse. It's just that the actress didn't want to do it. So it's like, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's just embarrassing. Like every scene that one of like the original people is in... You can clearly see that they're just unhappy to be there. Jennifer, Jennifer yes. Lawrence specifically, <laughs> Michael Fassbender, like, yeah, like you said, Michael Fassbender never half-asses it. Even in, like, Assassin's right. Creed and, like, uh, The Snowman, he's still giving it his all because why not? Absolutely. He's Michael Fassbender. And Frank. Yeah, but it's just, <laughs> it, it, I, don't, I don't know why anyone agreed to this. I know, yeah, it's contracts and stuff, but it's, it's everyone just... Well, the weird, the weird thing is their contracts were up at the end of Apocalypse. Uh, and yeah, the is reason- this just cut footage from Apocalypse and they made a movie? <laughs> they made a movie. That would surprise me, but no. Apparently, I think the reason they came back is because Simon Kimberg had worked with them on the other movies. He's be- he's been writing most of these movies since the Last Stand came out, I think. And so they worked with them on Days of Future Past. And they worked with them on Apocalypse, and so I, I think I, out of a favor to him, McAvoy and uh, Fassbender agreed to come back, and then I think Jennifer Lawrence agreed to come back because they were coming back, basically. Okay. <laughs> but but I'm sure she had that stipulation in the contract for... Well, we'll get to that in the spoilers, yeah. I guess. Um, is it, though? Because but, uh, it's kind of in the trailer. It yeah. is in the trailer, and even Simon Kimberg was talking about it in an interview months ago. But we'll save All for right. spoilers, just in case. But, yeah, what do you think of Jessica Chastain as the film's villain? Vuck is the character's name. Is it? Her. Wait, what is it? <laughs> Vuck, with a V. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> V-U-K is the character's name, Vuck. Um... Basically, mm-hmm. a proud member of the Dabari race. Uh, How the fuck do you? I saw this yesterday. I have no memory of this. Um, <laughs> so that that basically describes 
uh, what I felt about her character. I forgot. Yes. I forgot she was in it. I'm happy they uh, they had her play like an emotionless alien because it meant that she could just kind of breeze her way through it. There's there's enough there's enough <laughs> going on in the background where you don't need all this other stuff. Like it's it's just so convoluted and messy, but they don't do anything with it. It's just it's there just to go away by the end of the movie, and there's no point where it feels like there's any stakes behind what she's doing. It, it felt weird for them to put this these shape shifting aliens uh, in a Marvel quote unquote movie uh, so, so soon, soon after Captain yeah. Marvel yes. <laughs> after Captain Marvel, <laughs> and it's like, did you think that by now you would have just been part of the MCU and you could have used Skrull and you didn't because you're not. And it's like, it feels so weird. And did she start with eyebrows and then not have eyebrows? I think they, they just uh, dyed her hair blonde for the movie. And for some reason, they did the same thing they did with Chris Hemsworth in the first Thor movie, where they were like, well, if her hair is blonde, everything's blonde. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it made it look, I guess, a little bit like more intimidating because I couldn't tell what she was supposed to be expressing but at the same time yeah I, everything like every violent act she did people laughed in my audience just because it looked <laughs> so strange and forced yes. um yeah. yeah i just I, I don't get what they were trying to accomplish and i don't think they accomplished anything that's fair that's the uh, moral of the story yeah they didn't accomplish anything i think even more frustrating is that the movie i think occasionally skirts across interesting ideas but there's a, the occasional like oh that's that's an interesting thing you're doing there, movie, and then it just immediately pivots from the, yeah. <laughs> from that. Especially when it comes to Xavier and Jean, like their relationship, uh, and we'll talk about some of that stuff in spoilers too. But yeah, there there was one battle scene in the movie where Xavier's team is fighting Magneto's team, uh, where the movie I think like briefly comes to life, if only because one of the things I like about the X Men as opposed to other fighting teams, superhero teams, is the way they combine powers and have different power beings fighting each other is usually really cool. Uh, like even Joss Whedon uh, has said that like one problem he encountered with making the original Avengers movie uh, was that everyone's superpower was basically punching things really hard, um, <laughs> which which is tougher to make visually interesting. You know, so the X Men yeah. don't have that problem. You have all these characters, these, all these different varieties of power sets, uh, and you can do some really cool stuff with that. And I think. Uh, Brian Singer did that really well with Days of Future Past, actually, in that opening scene where you have like the one character who makes portals and all that kind of stuff. And then this movie, um, that brief fight scene has some of that going on where you see Cyclops's, you know, laser beams going, and there's that one guy with dreadlocks, and that's his one superpower is that he has dreadlocks, yeah, uh, and that kind of thing. And like, it's dumb, but like there's like they do some some vaguely interesting power dynamic stuff uh, in that action sequence. And that's pretty much it. That's the only that's the only point in the movie where I was like, eh, it's coming to life a little bit. And then it's like I, done. It's, I feel like the, the rescue done. scene kinda had that a little bit too. Like the very beginning. Where, the, uh, but the opening thing yeah. in space. It's yeah. it's strange yeah. that they functionally know how to use the characters' powers, but just have no idea how to use the actual characters. So it's just right. it's so <laughs> one dimensional that it, it almost makes it it devalues those scenes because you realize the potential of what it could have been. Yeah. The uh I guess it's spoilers. We'll save it for that. Okay, we'll, we'll get to spoilers in a second. I just wanted to say one thing that I think perhaps the biggest sign that everyone involved with this movie just kind of shrugged and said, fuck it, uh, is that we don't even get a cool Quicksilver scene in this movie, guys. <laughs> That's what I was going to yeah. say. Was it really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, like, come on. You had one job. Those are always like, I mean, there's only been, there's the one in Days of Future Past and there's the one in Apocalypse. Yeah. And like, those are like easily, like the one in Days of Future Past is a highlight of that movie. And the one in the Apocalypse yeah. is the easy highlight of yeah. that movie because it's the only good scene in that movie. Um, <laughs> but they kind of do a fake out with it in this one where you think it's about to happen and then it's just, oh, footing. Like, it's just, it, 
they kind of cut away from it. So I feel like they're almost referencing, like, oh, you thought we were going to do this again. But everyone in the audience is like, yeah, we kind of wish you did that. So, yeah, what was yeah, the point? He's like he's one of the fan favorite characters, one of the only characters that wasn't in First Class that people actually give a shit yeah. about. And they kind of sideline him in this movie. He's not in, like, the second half of this movie, basically. <laughs> but, yeah, so, all right, let's get into spoilers, guys, because I think we have a lot more to talk about. Uh, spoilers for Dark Phoenix, starting right now. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! All right, spoilers for Dark Phoenix starting right now. And, hey, ironically, uh, our spoiler bumper is Sophie Turner shouting shouting spoilers in Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. And and that. now we're talking about a movie with Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. So there's that, too. What do you think of Sophie Turner as Jean Grey? A lot of the movie hinges on her. Uh, it's a shame she didn't want to be there, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> it seems I, like. I mean, it seems like... I think she actually... like. I think when she signed on for Apocalypse... She probably saw this as like, oh, okay, I'm like Game of Thrones is winding down. This is like my big break into like movies and that kind of thing, right? She's like yeah. getting into these franchise filmmaking game. Uh, and then I think at a certain point on set, it became clear this movie was not going to be very good. And and so yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think she's half assing it here. I, I just think like maybe she's good in Game of Thrones. I'm not sure if she's like good enough to anchor a movie yet. You know, yeah. one, one of these days, probably sure. But uh, I think at this point, she's just like she like she's like I don't like her as much as a. Fan K. Jansen in the original X-Men movies as Jean Grey. Uh, I will say that. But uh, let's talk about the big spoiler moment, I guess, that uh, Jean Grey kills Mystique, which is basically in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, Kinberg even talks about it uh, months before the movie came out. Uh, so I don't know if it's a spoiler, but I'm just happy for Jennifer Lawrence that she doesn't have to be in these movies anymore. <laughs> She's finally <laughs> free. She's you know, funny. free. Uh, I didn't know that, like, I guess because of my uh, Unsullied stuff, like, I had no idea that that was going to happen. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, but, like... I should have cared yeah. when she died. And right? It, just, like, it had did. no impact whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I didn't care until the scene later when she's with Magneto and he keeps asking whose blood is on your shirt. And I was like, oh, right. it's because Fassbender is dope. I kind of care now. Yes. <laughs> Retroactively. Yeah, even uh, though Fassbender's half-assing it, like, he's still like, you know, he's the only one with gravitas in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, before we get to off that, or before we get onto that stuff, because um, it takes place at the same scene with the Quicksilver thing, it's the you know he starts to have his fake out scene, and then yes. uh, Jean Grey you know knocks the plank out of his way or whatever, and he like dies for some reason. Um, right? Not really, but which, you know what I mean. well, he gets hurt, and I guess that's why he uh, is not in the second half of yeah. the movie, which is right. I think a pretty convenient way to get around Evan Peters' American Horror Story schedule. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, um, that's <laughs> but. But it's also just that scene from Justice League when the Flash is running past Superman and he and he moves because it's the same exact things. Everything but they oh, yes. also do the same and thing then, in Apocalypse when he looks and Apocalypse <laughs> follows him with his eyes. It's oh, a movie really? ripping off a movie that ripped off the previous movie that he was already in. <laughs> it's so lazy. That's amazing. See, to me, that was a you know I, I can sort of see it as like an effective way to show how powerful Jean Grey is and that kind of thing. Like, yeah, in, oh, same, for sure. in the same way where it's like at the beginning of Infinity War, Thanos like beats up the Hulk, right? It's like this character who yeah uh, has has basically been like unstoppable up to this point, just immediately getting dispatched, right? But at the same time, yeah, so like maybe just like not do that and give us a real quick silver scene, like that's yeah. yeah. Like if if you're if you're gonna go out like this, like just give us something to enjoy, you know. <laughs> it, it feels like when Game of Thrones started fake out killing characters, where it's like you think we're gonna kill this guy when they're all by on the wall, like right. somebody's definitely gonna die. Nope, everyone's fine. Right. Well, they do actually kill Mystique though, so there is that. They do at least, yeah. Yes. But I, I mean, mean specifically Quicksilver, <laughs> but, <laughs> killing a character that you don't expect to die. I guess. <laughs> sure. Killing, killing a character who actually seems like he wants to be there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. 
Because Evan Peters has been like you know a delight in these movies up to this yeah. point. Up to this point, he's, he's just happy good. to get work. I think he's, he's doing fine. He's doing fine. Oh yeah, for sure. Know, he's happy to get work. He's a very popular young man. Um, yeah. But, but uh, apparently, the ending of this movie was heavily reshot. Like Nick was saying, there's been a lot of reshoots and stuff. And the reason for that is because uh, it was too similar to uh, Captain Marvel, um, <laughs> from what I understand. Wow. Uh, which, like you mentioned, the scrolls and stuff, and even the ending that is here. I think it's still pretty similar to Captain Marvel. <laughs> uh, the way it's like, um, you know, it's, it's Sophie Turner and Jessica Chastain. And Jessica Chastain has this moment where it's like, your emotions make you weak. And then uh, Sophie Turner kind of does her Phoenix thing and she like explodes into like a, kind of like on a fire, superpowered being, kind of like Captain Marvel does at the end of that movie. And she's like, no, my emotions make me strong. And she kills her. Uh, That's like word for word, I'm pretty sure. From Captain yeah. Marvel, right? No. <laughs> oh, no. Well, maybe. I don't know. Well, not, not word for word from Captain Marvel, but it is word for word what happens in this movie. And it Dark was very, Phoenix, that's it was, what I mean. And it was yeah. a very, like, just poorly, like, you know. Yeah. Like, why, it, isn't it, why isn't it my emotions are what make me human? Why isn't that the line that that's, she says? That's a better line. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> or if they, if know, they did a callback to her, or Charles saying, oh, you're not broken, or something, and she's like, no, my, yeah, like, yeah. I, it's. It, there are so many things where they could have called back to it, but they didn't care right. enough to do it. And if they're going to spend this much time... Your mom's name is yeah. Martha? Hey, that's that's just good film writing, all right? And we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Nick's a Batman for Superman. Hey, 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 hey. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it reminded me of... Uh, a, that is joke. the Blu-ray. That's a Blu-ray that I pre-ordered and spent $28 on. Um, Jesus Christ. It's not a good movie. Um, uh <laughs> Uh, but that, that whole sequence where it's like, your emotions make you weak. No, my emotions make me strong. That reminded me of a, there's a joke in an episode of Futurama. The robot devil has a line where he's like yelling at Fry about his opera. And he's like, you can't just have your characters say how they feel. That makes me feel angry. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and like, that was me in the audience watching, <laughs> watching that scene. Yeah. Uh, um, I did like that kind of train battle sequence before it had beforehand. It kind of had this like World War Z weird feel to it. Yeah, uh, this like zombie tidal wave thing going on. Even though that's not what's yeah. happening in this, but it feels like I, that. if I cared about the characters, uh, it would be such a better scene. Yeah, though. just on like a pure this kind of looks yeah <laughs> um, level. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it felt like a little like too little, too late kind of thing. Like it was one of those oh, things where it's yeah. like you know, the, there's some fun stuff happening in there. Like you know, I like seeing Nightcrawler bamf around and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, uh, at the same time, it's just like man, I was ready for that movie to be over. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and so then the movie kind of has that big confrontation where uh, Jean Grey kills um, Vuck. <laughs> <laughs> you sound angrier every time you say it. <laughs> I just... Uh, it's Vuck. Like, come on. But yeah, Jean Grey kills Vuck, and then um, Jean Grey like, kind of ascends to the skies, and like she realizes that, like... You know, just her being there is like causing like Cyclops to die or something. So she so she goes to this guy and then she explodes and it seems like Jean Grey dies. And then at the very end of the movie, you see a flaming phoenix hovering over the sky of over Xavier and Magneto, and neither of them pointed out. They're like no, neither neither of them is looking up and be like, hey, what's that? <laughs> um, but it's this like indication that like oh maybe Jean Grey is alive, but also. Who yeah. cares, man? We're not seeing these characters ever again. Like, just. <laughs> like, I also want to nitpick that very last scene, right? So it's it's it. it's Xavier and uh, Magneto in Paris or wherever the fuck. It was very uh, dark night rises. Was that? It was very dark night. That's rises. exactly when yes. I when he goes to the table. I thought Jean was going to turn around because she was sitting yes. eating dinner with Anne Hathaway or something, and that was just going to cut the. Oh my god! I didn't even think of that, but holy shit! Uh, but no, so they sit down to play like a game of chess, right? And 
why don't they reference the fact that Charles could read his mind and like how do you play chess against that? That doesn't be, like they like half make okay. a reference All to the right. fact that he could read mind. <laughs> no, but like it's it's a would be a funny joke between old friends is what I like because that's the whole thing. They kind of repair their relationship a tiny bit. Yeah, it's like that would have made sense, and they sort of reference it a little bit where he's like, "Whoa, no, you're not Bazinga." <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. Okay, Fuck okay this movie, I mean, basically, I, I get me. that. I, I get that, movie. and like that could have been nice, but also it's like they, I think there's an understanding that he's not going to read his mind while he's yeah. like they, you know there's. <laughs> There's, there's a mutual respect there. He's not going to be cheating chess and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I think Xavier wouldn't see the fun in it if he was re- reading Magneto's mind or whatever. Well, what we know about it, Charles is he's a, a dirty yeah. man. Well, we know that we know that he's a psychopath, mm-hmm. basically, as, <laughs> yeah, as, as far exactly. as this movie is concerned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, a movie's good when uh, yeah, you're there's... spending five minutes talking about the chess scene at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. Sometimes you just got to pick yeah. a guy on, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which also, you know, Xavier honestly doesn't seem that upset when Mystique dies. Just throwing that out there. No, nope. <laughs> no. And, and he and he should be the most upset, right? He, he like he's uh, Mystique is supposed to be like his adopted sister or something. They've known each other since they were kids and that kind of thing. Theoretically, he should be the most upset. Uh, but Magneto is more upset about it than he is. Beast is way more upset about it than he is. Which I, I'm going to put this to you guys because I do not remember. Was there ever like a romantic thing between Beast and Mystique in these in- movies? I um, think they're this in one there first is. class. I think because she's like there to convince him to like be yourself because he's very self conscious of being right. a beast, and that it was like yes. her coming into her own and then convincing him. But that's that's not romance. I vaguely remember that. Um, yeah, yeah. I I vaguely remember like a flirtation between them in yeah. first class, and then this movie like they don't they never like kiss or anything. Like they never, they never really explicitly say these two are together. But they have a conversation where they're both like, hey, maybe we should leave Xavier's school yeah. or something like that. Or Mystique's. And right. they, they act as if they're going to be leaving together. And then there's the whole thing where, when Mystique dies, Beast is the one who goes uh, insane. He, go, he like, goes to Magneto and tries to like, recruit him and be like, oh, man. All that. Like, he's, he's the one who's most upset about it. And it well, seems like the implied reason is that he was in love with her or something. But it's like there's nothing in this movie or in any of these movies to imply that that was the case. When she's dying, she says, I love you, too. Is that what she said? Makes okay. no sense. I couldn't yeah. hear half of that. And also, okay, Charles also says something to the sky at the end of the movie, and uh, someone someone next to me just, like, <laughs> nodded, and I was like, I have no fucking... What did he say? What did he say? And I, I, want, I want there to be some remember. resonance to this movie. But, oh, actually, I, yeah, after she yeah. flies away, yeah. I you remember it yes. happening? Yeah, what saying. does he say? All right. I, don't I, I do not remember him saying okay. anything. Uh, maybe he said something like, you know, the real Dark Phoenix was the friends we made. Yeah. <laughs> he might as well have at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we find out that Xavier has kind of uh, messed with Jean's mind in the past. Like when she was a kid, he um, blocked off her memories and that kind of thing. Uh, and it, it, the way this movie starts off, Xavier is already kind of going off the deep end a little bit. He's, like, pushing his crew into more and more dangerous missions because the world is finally starting to accept mutants as, like, these, you know, saviors of the world and that kind of thing. And, again, that's an interesting place to start off on. I, I like the idea of examining Xavier's behavior and seeing, like, oh, wow, there's, like, some psychopathic tendencies here that we're, yeah. like, have to be worried about. But it's it's almost like the, uh, the game, game of Thrones, right, where it's the final season of Game of Thrones where it's like, all right, I like some of the ideas of where you guys like ended up but you didn't do you know the the very hard work of getting them to that point <laughs> you know you right. kind of just you kind of just like got them here and it's like all right well how do we get to this point i don't know because this movie skips 10 years between, between the last movie and it's like all right well all thank right. god we invented that mutant yeah. machine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, and speaking of that, I mean, like I said, like it's you know, it kind of jumps from season one to season five in a weird way. If this was like a TV show, but like it, just the way it establishes stuff, it's like okay, like Cyclops and Jean Grey are together now. Like there's just a thing. Let's go with that. But then Cyclops has a line where it's like, like, hey, does Jean seem weird? She's acting different than normal. And I can only think, like, is she? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> you're apparently a couple. Like, yeah, I, I've never seen how she acts normally. I don't know that she's acting differently than normal. <laughs> she got the full of Phoenix Force blast in the first five minutes of this movie. <laughs> Uh, so I, I only have Apocalypse to go off of, and she's barely yeah. a character in that movie. And by the way, remember in Apocalypse when Jean like sort of briefly turned exactly, into yeah. Movie? Did yes. I miss something? <laughs> she was already had it. Like, what's yeah. the point? But yeah, no one ever uh, brings that up. It's not a thing. <laughs> not even in a passing. Like, oh, so that's why that yeah. happened. <laughs> kind of way. Uh, which is the problem with all these movies. You know, they they deliberately ignore stuff from the previous movies. They, <laughs> I think they expect and not unreasonably that like most audiences aren't going to care that much like like most people will see that movie that have came out three years ago forget about a lot of the stuff that happened go see the new one and be like oh that was a pretty good new one right uh whereas like the hardcore fans will be like what the fuck what's going on but like i think they've like the action movies i think are almost like admirable in their tendency to uh just completely ignore continuity <laughs> and shit and shit the bed in that regard uh like even in apocalypse um like that like days of future past ends with um Wolverine going into Stryker's custody, but it's revealed at the end of that movie that Stryker is Mystique, yeah. right? And so it's like, it seems like it's going to change the timeline in a big way where it's like, oh man, what's going to happen now? But then in Apocalypse, Wolverine is just in Stryker's mm-hmm. custody. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> I do not remember that. There's nothing they just don't like that. care. Uh, yeah. So they just, yeah, they're, they're focused on making like standalone movies without that much regard for a larger universe while at the same time, desperately wanting to be a larger universe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and and it's worked for some of the movies. Like, some of these movies, like, really only work as standalones. Like, Logan. Like, Lo- Logan, if you take Logan and, like, try to fit it into the rest of the X-Men franchise, doesn't make sense. Doesn't work at all. But it's a, it's a great movie on its own, yeah. and so it works. So I, I think the, the trick has to be, if you're, if you're going to deliberately ignore continuity and, like, things that happened in previous movies, uh, you got to make your movie good. Like, yeah. that's... <laughs> Well, that's also, the, Logan even has that yeah. part where, like, he's flipping through the comic books, and he's like, well, you know, most of the stuff is made up anyway. You can't really believe it. So it's right. like, I feel like that's trying to explain away the fact that they are willingly non-caring about the movies that they're writing. Um, but, I, yeah, exactly. It has to be in a good movie. You have to acknowledge that and then realize, oh, but the movie's still okay, so it's fine. I can ignore this. If your movie's just boring bullshit, like there's there's no reason for me to care. Yeah, and that's I, and that's what this movie is. It's boring mm-hmm. bullshit. But uh, yeah. Michael, what were you gonna say? I just want to also real quick um, highlight uh, a Fassbender moment <laughs> when when they're on the island, right, on whatever his like mutant utopia, which like like Nick said, give me that movie. I want to know what the right. fuck's going on there. When the army shows up and he's like, we're gonna take Gene, and they like have that like. Tele- telekinetic <laughs> battle over the helicopter. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought this up because that was the moment where I was like, Fastbender, come on, man. What are you- <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. It's he's, just do- he's doing like these weird, like, it's like a Nicolas Cage style screaming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's it's- like, he screams like, get in the chopper, I can't hold it. <laughs> Hilarious. Amazing. Yeah. And it's like, for somebody who is like, in general, like the rest of this movie, I think he's honestly like pretty solid. That moment is yeah. like the moment where I was like, oof, man. Like, if, if, even, if you can't get a good performance out of Michael Fassbender, you've done something horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's the main lesson of this movie. And again, I, I wish like we had just like, 
like if we had just done like the Nazi hunting scenes from First Class with Magneto, like those scenes are incredible. Yeah, <laughs> and like I really wish we had gotten that version of like a version of that movie. I remember before First Class came out, uh, they were going to make a Magneto Origins movie. Wow, and you know Michael Fassbender wasn't cast at the time, um, but like that would have been if they had cast Fassbender and just done an, an X Men Origins Magneto. That would have been crazy and cool, um, but it's, instead they they scratched that after X Men Origins Wolverine was widely considered terrible because it was, uh, and they and they ended up kind of putting everything in towards first class, and they kind of took some of the elements of that and put it into first class. Uh, so the Nazi hunting stuff, so that's where that came from. Uh, but man, like what I wouldn't give to just see a full movie of that, like that whole sequence or like anything Fast Man is doing in these movies. Like you said, like Days of Future Past, he's uh, in jail because he uh, <laughs> was the one who uh, curved the bullet in the Kennedy assassination. That kind of. <laughs> thing yeah. like you know there's fascinating stuff that it, they deal with in these movies and like it just man completely whiffs it completely whiffs it in this movie and it's a bummer and that mm-hmm. says it all <laughs> the x-men ended in a uh, winter all right that's yeah you know. yeah which is unfortunate and it's i think even more unfortunate that it came like you know six weeks after avengers Endgame yeah. came out which was you know universally pretty acclaimed and like pretty people liked it very much and like it's going to be like Probably the second highest-grossing movie of all time, just short of Avatar. I don't know if you saw that, but it's basically like it's it's not going to quite cross the the Avatar bar, uh, which I'm fine with. I, I, like it's it's one of those things where it's like I don't really care what is the highest-grossing movie of all time, but I, it's like I see people like online being like, "Yeah, Avengers Endgame is going to take down Avatar," and I'm just like, you know, I'm okay with the James Cameron movie being a number one. You know, it's one of the, <laughs> it's one yeah. of those things. Uh, plus, it's like a weird anomaly now that Avatar is number one too. It's just like a weird yeah. thing. It's like uh, how did this happen? Yeah, like, it's it's a weird, like, moment in history that we have to go back to. But, yeah, anyway, that about wraps up our Dark Phoenix. Any, any, any last thoughts about Dark Phoenix before we move on, guys? No. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> it. I saw it yesterday, and I, I, like, it's very rare that that happens. And I just, I, I wish I could, I wish I could live in the reality where this was the New Mutants, where they just kept pushing it. Because then, then, then at least I'd be, I'd be happy knowing that, oh, well, like, we got Logan, we got Deadpool 2, and then uh, they got rid of everything else after that. That's all that matters. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the important, I mean, Deadpool will still live yeah. on and whatever Marvel thing happens. Ryan Reynolds is still making those movies. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. X-Men, it's done. That was my prevailing thought when the movie was over. I was like, wow, it's done now. All right. I don't have to, I don't have to see these anymore. What do that's they have crazy. to show from? Yeah. Me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's a bummer. But uh, we'll always have Logan. We'll always have Days of Future Past and uh, X2 and uh, a bunch of good movies, honestly. But uh, Dark Phoenix, unfortunately. Not the finale this franchise uh, probably deserved. So, yeah, that about wraps things up this week for uh, Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Nick, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find you on uh, You can always find me at Twitter account, which is still Downing Plus Ultra <laughs> at Twitter. Um, <laughs> other than that, I'm. Somehow, no I'm, legal action just, to take I'm, for that. I'm yet. begging for that cease and desist, but they're, they're just they're not coming <laughs> for me. I think they're scared. But yeah. yeah, other than that, I don't I do not do diddly. So, uh, yeah. All right. You can find me on this podcast this week and again in March of next year when uh, Godzilla vs. Kong comes out. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. And, uh, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and also uh, MD Film Blog on Letterboxd. And you can find me at Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd and also uh, uh, at, my, at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter. And, yeah, thank you for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrescio. And that, of course, is Nick Wormuth. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at MikeAndMikeGoToTheMovies at gmail.com. Our next episode of Mike and Mike is going to take us to a movie that I am begging, like genuinely pleading with the world that it will be good. Uh, we're going to see what Woody and the gang are up to in Toy Story 4. 
Oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. I am so nervous about this movie, Mike. <laughs> Let's go from one nostalgia letdown to it, hopefully not another. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that, that, that original Toy Story trilogy is so perfect, and I just don't... Like, if you're, if you're going to break the ending of Toy Story 3, you better have a damn good reason, is, is all, is all I'm going to say. I mean, Keanu's in it, so... That's true. That could be reason enough. Could uh, be worth maybe. it for everything. Yeah, Nick, are you excited for Toy Story? I for? don't care, but I'm probably going to see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my feeling. Like when I, the trailers didn't do that much for me, and that's like to see a Toy Story trailer and like not feel anything. It, I, I feel like I've died a little bit yeah. inside. You know, it's, it's well, I basically like, I only see Pixar movies to feel like I still have emotions at this point. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for that. I'll get my annual cry. Yeah, nice. Uh, plus, you can keep an eye out for the next Complete Works, uh, which will see Nicolas Cage teaming up with Willem Dafoe in Paul Schrader's Dog Eat Dog. Looking forward to that one. I've heard solid things. Uh, and that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. Yeah, so it's it's the story. It stars um, Allison Williams and Logan Browning uh, as these two like um, these two. Oh my god, humans! What's the word, Mike? Humans. These two people. <laughs> no, that kind of that kind of sore. Are they? They're cellists. Yeah. Yes, but what's the what's the word? Musicians. Um, no, <laughs> like not kind of sore. You know what I mean? Uh, like uh, proteges. Protege. Okay. Yeah, that is that it. Protege. <laughs> Yeah, okay. so along those prodigy. It's probably the word you're thinking of, right? No, prodigy. Yeah. Oh yeah, protege is like yeah, whatever. We're all wrong. Uh, what do they do? 